Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. And, you know, I think a lot of... Uh, the weather, of course, that we have uh, across the week uh, comes on the back of what was pretty good weather here last week as well. In fact, there's a story in the Echo that says businesses in Cork involved in Cork hospitality said the extra long uh, bank holiday weekend was a, a resounding success. Now, uh, they're quoting, for instance, um, the manager of Costigan's pub, quoting uh, Colm O'Connor, who says there was a super atmosphere in 30 years, I've never had a weekend start on a Wednesday, and I enjoyed every single second of it. People were in great form and were up for the crack and banter, and there was a lot of tourists around. So that long, long bank holiday weekend really worked. Now, what impact that will have on COVID numbers? I know, here we are again, talking about uh, COVID numbers, unfortunately. Uh, it's not anything they want to do, but they certainly have given us numbers since uh, St. Patrick's Day. And when you cum them all together since St. Patrick's Day, we're looking at nearly 64,000 cases. 1,300 now in hospital with COVID. Um, with COVID is the word there for hospital. They weren't in hospital because of COVID. Not all of them anyway. Uh, many were in hospital with other issues and, of course, tested positive for COVID. But, you know, the ICU numbers at 49 and intensive care units is still low. But there's more calls now than ever in the mail talk of it today of a call for the fourth jab with uh, 64,000 new cases reported since uh, St. Patrick's Day. And, um, you know, how nursing homes are, are also calling for urgent approval uh, for a fourth vaccine jab as they battle uh, more than 300 outbreaks, and there's been a couple of significant outbreaks of COVID in at least two nursing homes here on Leaside. Uh, but they also look in the red tops at the amount of people who haven't even got their booster, and that figure is apparently at 700,000. On top of that, of course, we have issues in Ireland with regards to A&Es and trolley numbers, and that never went away. You hope now as we uh, head across the spring and into the summer that those numbers will drop. But some great news for refugees who travelled in the Cronin's coach. They arrived outside the Kingsley Hotel. In fairness to the Kingsley, they're not looking for any attention or any credit or anything, but they are homing uh, the Ukrainians for a number of days until they settle down at the Kingsley, and that's lovely. But emotional scenes yesterday as the coach bus arrived outside the Kingsley and 33 Ukrainian refugees fleeing the Russian invasion arrived in Cork after their four-day uh, journey. So more on that in a few minutes' time because Paul Byrne was there for... Virgin Media News. In other news stories, apparently the amount of holiday lets now that are available, say, on, I guess on the likes of Dundee and Airbnb and stuff like that, for the first time ever, short-term holiday properties um, outnumber uh, long-term rental options for private rental tenants in Cork and indeed across the country. It seems that more, and, you know, if, if somebody owns their own property, there's not much manners you can put on them as to how they rent them out, I suppose. But landlords are leasing out uh, pro- properties that would be very appropriate for long-term rental, but they're renting them instead for short-term stays for holidaymakers. And it's said that they can make far greater gains uh, and far more profit uh, doing it that way, uh, shorter lets rather, because I imagine if you give something to somebody long-term, you have to give it to them at a much reduced rate. But what's going to happen now with regards to our food supply as issues from Eastern Europe uh, continue uh, to worry us? Well, apparently there's 12 million euro being set aside for farmers, apparently. I think, I'm not so sure how much it works out per farmer, but when you divide it down, they get a sizable chunk of cash, apparently, just to start growing vegetables again. I don't know where fishermen are being, um, you know, uh, included in that, but certainly the farmers are. And there's a package going to Cabinet today to encourage farmers to grow more crops 
Um, I mean, we kind of missed the boat on that when we forced them to stop in the first place, didn't we? And then some interesting colour-related stories, like this slimming jab that I was telling you about yesterday. Um, it is a, a new injection called Wegova, and it was approved yesterday across Europe including Ireland, for obese people. Now, you have to have a fairly high BMI, body mass weight index, and you have to be obese. But they say that it can reduce weight by as much as four stone quite rapidly with a weekly jab, by all accounts. But Dr. Ava Orsmond has come out in the red tops this morning uh, and said that this so-called game-changing jab, well, she says you don't need drugs if you have a healthy diet plan. But I suppose to some extent for people who haven't for many years had a healthy diet plan and have tried and tried and tried, and for whatever reasons, and a lot of the time it's a cocktail of reasons, can't lose the weight, I guess for them it could be deemed as a game changer, don't you think? But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the easier of two options. You know, I mean, diet plans are tough. It's hard to change a regime that you've had all your life with regards to eating habits. But if you do it all, it's amazing to see the results so, so quickly. But undoubtedly, this will be uh, a big, um, this will be a big ticket item, this new drug, without a doubt, because people will reach for it. Because, of course, the easier solution, I suppose, is the way to go a lot of the time. But we're also seeing stories coming in from Wales, where they now have joined the League of Countries that have banned smacking. Uh, and when they say smacking, we're, we're talking about smacking a child, hitting a child, slapping a child, shaking a child. Of course, that's illegal. All of that's been illegal, illegal in Ireland for the last seven years. Mind you, the Star this morning says that in a study two years ago at UCC, they found Ireland still had a, still had a relatively high acceptance of corporal punishment compared to other European countries. I don't know what they, how they mean by that. Is it like that if you see it, you'd call it out or you'd tell somebody to stop or don't do that to your child? Um, I mean, I don't know that I see a whole lot of people slacking, slapping children in public anymore. In fact, it's something that I see when I'm on the continent a lot more, um, where you see a child getting a slap or being pulled along or whatever the case may be when you're on halls. But um, it's an interesting one because I know we did this on air in the past as to whether there is ever... Uh, a reason, an acceptable reason uh, to slap a child. And then there's the story of a 37 ton headstone. You gotta love the traveller headstones, don't you? Because some of them can be absolutely ginormous. And there has been time on Lisa when they've uh, breached planning laws because of the height and the scale of them. I remember dealing with this on the air. Um, back in the day with regards to some of them that had to be taken down they were too big but this thing is just ginormous it's the giantest headstone at an English grave it's an Irish born traveller it's a 37 ton headstone to big Willie Collins uh, and it cost an estimated 240,000 euro to build and to put it up it's made from solid marble it's got Irish flags adorning it uh, proud to be Irish big Willie Collins apparently uh, he was a boxer by all accounts uh, born in Ireland but moved to Sheffield in the 1980s uh, the Traveller King Willie uh, apparently it's got two life-size statues that come in at 6 foot 2 each of himself the bare knuckle boxer uh, he died of a heart attack apparently in July while on holidays in Mallorca uh, but it has uh, I believe that it also has solar power uh, because it has a jukebox. So it's got a solar-powered jukebox. I wonder whether or not it'll be allowed to keep it there or whether there'll be a planning. Uh, I think that's the reason it's in the papers, actually. You've been told uh, that you got to tear it. you got to either take it down 
or we'll tear it down. Pity they didn't stop them before they put it up in the first place. And if you travel overseas in your halls this summer and you're going out of Shannon, good news for you. And all this messing with regards to the amount of liquid that you can take and the little plastic bag that you have for all your doodads and your knickknacks. Apparently, that's all going to go in Shannon. I don't know what it's going to be like on the other side, but... In Shannon, they have invested apparently two and a half million euro in new screening technology. That means you can bypass the 100 mil liquid rule in cabbage bags. <laughs> did I just say cabbage bags? I did, didn't I? Cabin bags, I should say. <laughs> anyway. Oh man, maybe it'll catch on. We'll have the same in Cork and Dublin and everywhere else. And the papers also then today talk about Ireland's Euro 2028 bid kickoff. Uh, we're off and running with the UK and hopefully we'll get the government backing on that today and Euro uh, 2028 will be played in Irish stadiums. Lines open, you can text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 The Neil Prenderville Show. Alright, Conor, an awful lot of texts and emails from yesterday's programme which I will drill through and phone call as well but I want to get straight uh, to uh, the, the phone lines um, because we're talking, you know, about numbers and, and COVID numbers. And it's, <clears throat> I don't envisage that, you know, we're going to go back into kind of dangerous territory with regards to lockdowns or, you know, this. I mean, there is talk that maybe people should mask up a bit more these days. I know I was mentioning the 1300 in hospital with COVID, but it's the COVID-19, 49 cases with uh, COVID and intensive care that we need to keep an eye on. But I have been hearing issues within our nursing homes. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start there. Um, uh, Magella Beattie is is with Care Champions. And I was telling you about the work that Care Champions do uh, yesterday. And she joins me by phone. Magella, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And listen, thanks for taking the call. Uh, there's a story in the in the papers this morning talking about nursing homes battling COVID again. Is that accurate and true? There are over 300 cases of COVID in different nursing homes around the country at the moment. Um, so certainly um, there's quite high numbers in some nursing homes. Uh, yeah, and of course families are struggling again uh, in regards to communication and getting access. Was there a time um, that where, where families and loved ones were allowed in for visits into nursing homes to their relatives? Yes, there's been periods right through. Yes, um, I know, but you know when, when a lot of the regulations and the guidelines were abandoned, did it change then in nursing homes? Uh, I have to say some nursing homes have been very good. Many nursing homes were uh, struggled with allowing families back in, often using the excuse that they didn't have staff maybe to facilitate visits. So when, you know, when public health guidance said that uh, families were allowed a minimum of four visits a week. The residents were allowed a minimum of four visits a week. Some nursing homes struggled to go past maybe a half an hour twice a week. Um, and of course, that was uh, hugely stressful, particularly where there'd be maybe five or six children in a family where they weren't getting to have visits or visits were only allowed between uh, times where maybe uh, family members are working, maybe between 12 and 3 or something like that that was not actually practical uh, for family members. Okay, and were there limits then and are there limits on, say, the amount of family members that could go in to visit a loved one at any one time? Um, only two people are allowed to um, visit at the one time, but there's no limit on the amount of people who can visit. 
but an awful lot of nursing homes have kept that to one person visiting and trying to restrict it. I know there's, um, I know three or four homes where they're only allowing three or four people in total um, to visit uh, in rotation, which is not what public health guidance is stating. Okay. Do they ask for any proof of vaccination or booster or anything like that? Some do, yes. Do they? And if somebody, yeah. would, would, would that include Cork nursing homes? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes, there's there's three nursing homes in Cork that I know of that will not allow uh, family members in without proof of vaccination. Okay, and I've also heard in Cork um, at least two nursing homes with fairly substantial outbreaks. Is 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 that right? Yeah, we uh, well, I know of about five homes in Cork that have big numbers at the moment. I know there's a a nursing home with twenty three confirmed cases in Cork. There's another one in Cork. There's another one with uh, 11. There's um, there's two nursing homes l- early last week. They had numbers like 15 and 12. Okay, so, that's, that, so that you've given me numbers for four different Cork nursing homes then. 23, 11, 15 and 12. Yes. And how are they managing those outbreaks? Do you know? Um, well, I suppose really the fact that, you know, that I'm hearing about them or people are dealing with me it kind of indicates that people are having families are having issues regards communication uh, finding out what's actually happening and you know I know of some families that only found out by accident that their loved one has COVID Um, uh, the biggest problem that we're finding when nursing homes are now having big outbreaks uh, they're not abiding by public health guidance public health guidance the late, we have been campaigning in Care Champions for a care partner type system, which is working very well in, in the north of Ireland and in other parts of Europe. Um, our public health guidance brought in a version of that, which they call the nominated support person. So basically, a nominated support person should be somebody who is allowed to have reasonable access for some part of every day, even during a COVID outbreak. And basically, that person should be treated like a staff member and they come in at their own risk because uh, restrictions on visiting and loss of meaningful contact are of themselves a cause of harm to residents. A lot of nursing is that homes safe? Is, that safe? is that safe though, that you could have one dedicated family member coming and going for every single um, resident? They, I, well, it has worked well and it hasn't increased okay. numbers abroad. The way it works in the north of Ireland is that the support person is tested with staff members and and they take you know they take the same precautions the word same PPE as any staff member would do you know if any of the ICU patients in our hospitals came from uh, nursing homes because I don't I don't have a I don't have a figure on on, on sad and tragic deaths and um, not that I know of and um, uh, no I don't know the answer to that question yeah. I do know that most um people who would have ended up in hospital families would have been told if they need ICU that um, they, you know, they may not be getting it. They may, may not get that. Um, as in it, they would be treated in the nursing home, is it? No, some are, no, some people who have gone to hospital might get to uh, like a high support unit, like my own mother and my own mother, my own mother got COVID. Now this isn't obviously in this um and this far on in COVID, uh, but I was told that due to her age, 
that she would not be entitled to, she would not be going to ICU should she need it. Um, in my own mother's case, her oxygen levels dropped completely. She needs 100% oxygen support. So they pour into um, like a heated room that was full of oxygen, which is a step below ICU. And that's all that she, that was all she was going to get. So I got that phone call to say, look at, it could go either way with your mother right now. We have made the decision that she's not a suitable person to go to ICU. What, what criteria did they base that on? Her, her age? Age. My mother was only 71. So was there a particular age that they used to deny ICU admission? Well, what I, I what I was told at that time um, was that uh, you know due to her age that other pe- that younger healthier people may have a better outcome. Okay, how did that make you feel? That kind of selective process based on age. Uh, awful, you know. Um, you know, certainly, I think what COVID has shown us is that we are we are a very ageist society, uh, and you can see that right across. Um, uh, right across the country when we talk about COVID and we talk about what's happened in our nursing homes, we are extremely ageist. Uh, age should never come into um, people getting medical treatment or not. If people, um, you know, I can totally understand if somebody's health is so poor that by giving them ventilation that you are going to do more, you may potentially do more harm than good. I can understand that conversation in in that scenario. In my mother's case, my mother had dementia and she had mobility issues, but um, my mother had an awful lot of living to do and a lot of giving to do. Um, you know, so certainly I don't think that somebody should be restricted. So do you, um, live, do you live with the thought in your head then that if perhaps she had got full ICU treatment that she may not have passed away? My mother uh, is kind of a strange one, and I do think this is where COVID numbers are not uh, potentially accurate. My mother miraculously cleared COVID at the time, but died 16 weeks after, and COVID done so much damage to her. So um, for me, and I suppose maybe it's a way for me to be able to uh, accept what happened to my mother, um, I'm a kind of at a place in my head, like she was so strong, that she she got on as well as she did. Um, would I see you have saved her? I don't know mm. because she did clear it, mm. but it done COVID itself just done such um, extensive damage yeah. to her body, yeah. you know. But yeah. we were very very lucky um, that she did clear it, but at least we got to be with her. We're not going back to window visits again, are we, Michelle? Some nursing homes never stop to window visits, you know, um, and I really wish the families um, would maybe, you know, follow through on what the guidance is. Some nursing homes where there's been COVID outbreaks, maybe even if it's only one person or a staff member test positive, they were locking people down and going back to isolating people in their rooms. And, um, you know, uh, window visits... Certainly when there's a big outbreak, I don't believe that, you know, window visits are acceptable or pod visits once there is um, a nominated support person going in. Yeah, your, um, your proposal that you mentioned earlier. But at this point, you yeah. know, where we're at now, where you say an awful lot of the majority of nursing homes are not letting people in to visit loved ones, whether they have COVID or not. Um, the mm-hmm. The residents that have COVID are not allowed visits um, and are 
isolating in their own room, are they? Alone. And also those who are close contact are isolating in their rooms. Now, we have heard concerns, uh, you know, from families that they would have witnessed uh, maybe wandering residents, you know, where um, they have concerns about residents who may have dementia or whatever who are wandering into uh, their loved one's room. These are the calls you're getting uh, from families. These types yes, of calls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically our families are telling us they have concerns that they can see, you know, maybe um, a floor where, where it's meant to be people who just have COVID and you can see people wandering and people wandering from one area to the home to the other. So therefore that's going to cause the spread of infection. There's huge concern there because as we've seen in the last two years, when people are isolated to their rooms, they're not getting the essential services that they need. They're not getting physiotherapy, OT, and they're declining cognitively and physically. Um, And two years into the pandemic, we should have a better process Mm. in place. We should be able to live with it. If we're trying to live within the community, Mm. the people in nursing homes are equal citizens and should not be restricted to that extent. And when you're... Some nursing... Yeah, go ahead, sir. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, some nursing homes, if they're they're still working on a 28-day roll around, which is really wrong. So if residents are isolated for 28 days and on day 26, uh, somebody else in the home tests positive, the 28 days start again. Um, Are they short of staff, do you think? Um, Hugely. There's a massive care crisis. Um, right across all sectors, you know, from uh, home care to nursing homes, struggling to get staff, and you know that is oft- that is often used by staff. Yes, we had we had a figure That's yesterday that a staff crisis leaving five thousand elderly without carers, and those figures of five thousand are probably elderly in their own home. So I don't know how much mm-hmm. more you could add the figure to a shortage of staff within nursing homes. Probably another substantial. Yeah. Yeah, and we have had families tell us where they have been uh, visiting a loved one in a nursing home and absolutely no staff on the floor. And um, are you, you know, you know the know, phone calls that you're getting as well from, from families, are they, are they saying that their calls aren't being answered? Or are they saying that they can't get information? Or is, you know, yeah, is some, that an issue? Now, some, some nursing homes are sending out a daily text message. Other nursing homes, the phones are not being answered or a lot of their own staff are out and they may have uh, some agency staff in. Um, so if the phone is answered, the agency staff may not know who the loved one wants to know about. Um, that's a huge concern. Um, you know, people getting wrong information, you know, to, uh, getting information on another resident. So somebody could have a mum or a dad, for instance, or a brother, or whatever the case may be, granny or granddad, in a nursing home in Cork with covid they can't go in, but nor can they get information on the phone. Absolutely. And that's even referred to in public health guidance that any lack of communication is, is a cause of stress, which is, is avoidable. And information should be, it should be provided in writing to residents and to their families. You know, I think it's important that families need to know what to do. So if a family member is struggling to... Um, if a family member is struggling to get information or, or feels that they want to get in as a nominated person and are not getting in, the best way to deal with that is to communicate in writing to the nursing home and copy HICWA in the email, copy uh, Minister Butler, the Minister for Older People, 
and state, you know, public health guidance states that we are allowed to nominate a support person. I am not getting information. I need to know what's happening. Please respond by email. Normally, that's actually enough to get nursing homes to actually abide by guidance and start getting information. If that's not working, you can ring organisations like ourselves and we've been more than happy. Okay, but are they not, maybe they're swamped. It's not as if they set out to upset family or residents, I suppose. They just can't cope. Absolutely not. And, you know, and it is fair to say that, um, you know, some nursing homes are doing extraordinarily well. Um, But it's not acceptable two years in that we were back at this stage. Residents and families are paying an awful lot of money for care. Nobody wants, most people do not want to live in a nursing home. And it's a massive decision for a family to make to send a loved one to a nursing home. And when they do so, the primary reason for doing so and paying an extortionate amount of money is to provide that person with a high standard of care. Yes, but there was quite, there was text yesterday saying that um, that perhaps people should consider taking their loved one home. Yeah, well, I I would say to somebody who would say something like that, I would doubt they've walked in the shoes of many people who have had to make the heartbreaking decision to to send somebody to a nursing home. I can just, I like I gave up work a number of years ago to care for my own parents. I went for oftentimes six, seven nights a week without one minute of sleep between looking after somebody with dementia who was up walking, pacing the halls, looking to go back somewhere from 30 years ago and trying to look after a very ill man. Um, you know, it's very easy for somebody to look through rose-tinted glasses and say, I would do this or I, I would do that. I know. Come walk in my shoes That's and then, right. then make your decision. That's right. Every single person's story is individual to them. Magella, thank you so much for taking the call. We might stay in touch with you at Care Champions. That 089 yes, number is you. the contact number for people if they wish yes. to get in touch. Is that right? Okay, I'll give that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Thanks, Magella. Cheers. Thank Take you. care. Magella Beatty at Care Champions on 089-447-081. Sorry, I gave that up wrong. It's 089-447-018. All right. 089-4477-018. And if you're having issues with nursing homes yourself for the care or information regarding your own loved one, do get in touch. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number. 0818-104-106. Yes, indeed. I thought I was hearing things when I was away there for a few days last week. I heard that Nancy Pelosi was praising the Taoiseach, uh, Micheál Martin, for reinvigorating the Irish housing and health sector. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Apparently it was at the uh, Friends of Ireland luncheon in Washington, D.C. Now, uh, Micheál Martin wasn't there because he was isolating at the time. He was absent because he got COVID there on Wednesday of last week. But apparently she highlighted Micheál Martin's tackling of the ongoing housing and healthcare issues in Ireland. I mean, are they living in cloud cuckoo land when they talk about our housing and healthcare as being anything to be praising? She paid tribute to the Taoiseach's reinvigoration of Ireland's approach to housing and health crisis, as well as his overall managing of the economy. (laughs) What is Ireland's new um, approach to housing and healthcare that's being lauded by the Americans? Um, Like, just ignore it, is it? Ignore that we have a crisis? She says the Taoiseach also has the world in awe by his handling 
of the COVID pandemic. <laughs> Who writes this stuff for these people? When at the same time, we have a staffing crisis leaving 5,000 elderly people without home care, where we have apparently a fifth of all consultants' posts in our Irish hospitals vacant, and nearly 900,000 people on some form of public hospital waiting list. And of those 900,000, that's short of a million, uh, nearly 100,000 of them are children. So when you cum them all together, nearly nearly 20% of the Irish population are on a public hospital waiting list. I mean, have they lost their tiny minds? Anyway, text 0868 104-106. Uh, uh, I mentioned there earlier on this morning in the papers that uh, the Cronin's coach has arrived back. It arrived back to the Kingsley Hotel yesterday. Uh, 33 Ukrainian refugees fleeing Russians, uh, the Russian invasion and war there, arrived in Cork after a long journey, a four-day journey. Paul Byrne for Virgin Media News was there yesterday. This is his TV report, but it still works well for audio. Tears for the loved ones they left behind and the homes they may never again return to. It's heartbreaking, very, very heartbreaking uh, and very difficult. It was a difficult decision uh, to leave uh, my country, my beautiful country, my family, my home, my husband. So it's very difficult uh, to start over. But uh, I have to because of my two children. I feel safe, but I want to go home because uh, there is not our native town and uh, this is not our country. We love Ukraine and we wanted to go home. The 40 Ukrainians left their native cities on St. Patrick's Day before finally arriving at the Kingsley Hotel in Cork this afternoon, where some will spend the next number of nights. Oh, Putin, oh, uh, I should say that um, uh, good uh, has always, uh, good always conquer evil and it will happen anyway and uh, I hope it will uh, happen uh, as sooner as possible. Volunteers with Operation Safe Harbour say the journey has been rewarding but extremely sad. Everybody on this bus, Ukrainian and Irish, have made friendships that will last for an awful long time. To date, the Irish Red Cross here have received approximately 20,000 offers of accommodation. The red carpet's out, it's a, you know, a little bit nervous, a little bit excited. Um, my son is very excited about sharing his toys and about his new friends who are going to be coming to stay with him. I'm happy. I like, I like meeting new people and being friendly to them. Although thousands of miles away from the conflict, their thoughts and prayers are with those in Ukraine. Paul Byrne, Virgin Media News Cork. And one of them said, I feel safe, but I want to go home. Uh, Niall Cronin was aboard that coach and travelled the four days back from Ukraine to Cork. Niall, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, not everybody boarded the bus, though, I heard. One, one particular group uh, felt it was too good to be true, is it? Yeah, we had six people that were due to travel back with us and, and the day before we were to, to uh, depart the border. Um, they just felt it was a little bit too good to be true, I suppose. You know, like it was probably the, the first thing, that, the first of its nature to see a coach leaving and heading for Ireland. And um, I suppose they felt that it maybe wasn't the right thing to be doing. And for some people, it was just too difficult to leave. It was too far away to go. Um you know, where we were down in the southeastern tip of Poland, like they were only fifty kilometers from the border, so they were still close to home, but relatively safe. And for but one, the conditions yeah, great. yeah, and one for one family, apparently, this is their second time being displaced and having to leave Ukraine, wasn't it? They had to leave again in two thousand and fourteen or something. 
Yes, they lost their home in 2014. They were an elderly couple and uh, their daughter and granddaughter, um, 79 years of age. And uh, they'd moved to Kiev and they lost their home in Kiev. So they've now relocated. They had a niece living in Castletown, Bairn, West yeah. Cork. And uh, she came to meet them yesterday. And um, the scenes there were just they were incredible, really. Um, but it was yeah. very difficult for those people. They were very quiet, humble people. Uh, right throughout the trip and I heard that it was very, very quiet on the bus right throughout the four day trip yeah look we had we had 12 young children on the bus and they were the, the best behaved kids ever like I mean it was so quiet um, but you know these people had come out of a refugee centre where they were crammed into little camp beds stuck to each other um, you know it was it was very difficult for them like I mean they, they had gotten days without showers like the the facilities there were very limited mm. because there were so many people there you know it was very difficult now those that arrived 40 in total because I think some ended up flying direct to Shannon yeah, and we, so yeah. 40, we flew, 40 in total we 12 direct yeah. where, where, where did they stay did the majority of them stay in the Kingsley um, so they, we had host families we had people sign up on our website to become host families so some of them went to host families and some of them came to the Kingsley and the people that we brought in yesterday are being collected by their host families tomorrow uh, today we're taking them to Hanover Street to get them processed, and um, once all that's done, then they can they can move in with the host families. You also, of course, this was the return trip because on the way out, of course, you brought uh, busloads of supplies and uh, yeah, filled a couple filled, of arctics. Yeah, we filled a couple of arctics, and uh, we filled the coach with the, the essential stuff. Um, we got as much medical supplies into it as we could: uh, kids' clothing, sleeping bags, um, batteries, torches, that kind of stuff. We got a good chunk of that into the coach and anything else then that didn't fit we, we got into two full Arctic loads and it was you know going down through Europe the, the volume of stuff that's coming from all European countries heading down there is it's staggering really mm. is mm. is that um, is, is that the, are you going to go again or is that enough do you think well look there's a lot we've, we've raised a lot of money and we've had pledges of a lot of accommodation so we're certainly able to help a lot more people and that that will be the plan going forward um, sending a bus down is it's, it was a great thing to do we brought aid down and we brought people back but it's a long journey yeah. Um, yeah. and it's a long journey for young kids you know like, I mean some people felt that they couldn't make the bus journey and that's why we flew them um, but it's a long time in the road like we were nearly 36 hours from the time we left the border to the time we got in the ferry and um you know, the people were great. I suppose they were in a peaceful environment, safe. Yeah. Uh, they were able to sleep. But it's a, it's a long trip for them that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we certainly will be flying in more people. And, you know, we've had so many pledges of accommodation uh, that we feel we can help more people. Wonderful gesture. Well done. Congratulations on getting back safely and bringing those people to safety as well. Thanks for taking the call now. Appreciate it. Um, I did notice also uh, online... People were sending me some a screenshot of one of them in front of me here called Donation Appeal for Ukraine. Please donate unwanted clothes, uh, all household textiles, bed linen, towels, curtains, underwear, paired shoes, bric-a-brac toys, jewellery, cosmetics, hand watches, computers, mobile phones. And that's all very laudable as long as you know that it's legit. And the problem with a lot of these, they say, you know, please leave your bag out on such and such a day. Please put this sticker on it, um, which is it's a donation. It's an appeal for everything I just mentioned for Ukraine. But you need to be absolutely sure that it is legit and that it's not being used as a scam, as a way of collecting stuff, claiming to be for Ukraine, um, where it's actually sold overseas then uh, for profit. So be very careful of that. Like one that I was sent says, um, you know, email, text or Facebook us. 
and we will return to collect from you. But there is no email. There is no Facebook link. There is no um, text. There is no mobile phone number. And more importantly, I don't know whether it's legal to do this if you haven't got some kind of a serial number or some kind of clearance. Maybe, maybe it isn't. Maybe you don't need it. Uh, but usually for things like this, you would see some sort of a permit number. So none of that exists on the one that I see. So I'd be very, very careful about that because you just don't know. My 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 feeling looking at this one is that it's not legit, you know, on the basis that you Google um, the, 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 the details on it and I can't find anything to stack it up as being a legitimate appeal for Ukraine. So just bear that in mind. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. With regards to the outpouring of generosity from Irish families and indeed Cork people, uh, I asked Claire here at the radio station to check Paul Byrne's Facebook to see the comments following his report yesterday of the arrival of 40 Ukrainians to the uh, Kingsley Hotel. I think it's fair to say it's, it's kind of like 50-50, but those that are against it are quite vociferous. Are you for real? We can't even mind our own. More of it now again. I shall go on house them. I'm sick of this dope country. Are people for real? Nothing against Ukrainians, but why didn't they go down to Patrick Street or Bishop Lucy Park and get all of our homeless housed first? Uh, they wouldn't take our own homeless people like that and give them free rooms, yet they wouldn't think twice about doing it for other people. Uh, it's horrendous what's happening in the Ukraine and the people living there and like every other country taking in people. I don't have any issue with that. Yes, fair play to the Kingsley and the coaches for bringing the innocent people to safety. But let's show our hands here. If the Irish government had put that amount of energy into housing the homeless in Ireland prior to the Russians invading the Ukraine, we wouldn't have the percentage of homeless people in Ireland we do now. The moral of the story is the Irish government want to get their priorities right first. Uh, country's a joke, nothing about our own that need it, but no, we'll always look after others. There are people in this country who have paid into the tax pot for 40 years and are being told that they have to pay for their chemo and are being refused medical cards. And now you have people coming from the Ukraine being given out free medical cards on entry into Ireland and welfare payments immediately and anything else they require, including a mobile phone. If we can give people uh, from thousands of miles away all of these things, why can't we give it to our own people? Um, Morning, Uh, I can't imagine having to leave your life and home and go to a country where you know no one and have no idea when you can return home. Well done to all concerned, well done to the Kingsley. A lot of people saying well done to the Kingsley. Charity begins at home. Why haven't the three parties in government helped our own? And then more thanking Cronin's coaches for a superb job. Have there any room for a few homeless families on the streets of Cork for the past few months, I wonder? And others then saying, God love them, it must be strange, new surroundings, well done to all. Finally, I can't even think what these people must have been through, but welcome, I hope that all will be okay. That's just a selection. You can get involved, text 0868 106. Just back to these leaflet drops, these sticker drops. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil, how are you? Okay, did you get one of them? I just opened the door there to the postman and it was on the the, the, the mat and I picked it up. And okay. of course it caught my eye because I had a big Ukraine stamp on front of it. And basically what the sticker is, donation appeal for Ukraine. Please donate on once it's closed. All household textiles, bed linen, towels, curtains, underwear, paired shoes. And then below that it says, please also include unwanted bric-a-brac toys, jewellery, cosmetics, Hand watches, computers, mobile phones. Yeah, same as what I have. Everything collected will be sold by second-hand shops in the Ukraine and money earned will be used to support children who have become orphaned in the Ukraine due to the war for freedom. Do you believe it? No, 
Why Absolutely not? not? Because, okay, basic essentials, yes, but I mean, what do they, Ukrainians want with cosmetics, hand watches, okay, mobile phones and computers, but even computers, it's a bit out of their range in the sense that, well, what's going on? But the basic essentials. But then somebody's always making somebody off somebody else's back. I mean, if these people are in, they are in dire straits, why are second-hand shops looking to collect these items to sell them? Yeah, I can't imagine that there's a whole lot of second-hand shops even open in areas that are being bombed by the Russians, but that's for another story. Um, it says text, email, or Facebook us, and we'll return to collect for you if we miss you. If you have yeah. nothing to give this time, please feel free to text, email, or Facebook us when you have something to give. But I can't find anywhere to contact them. Well, I didn't check, but I mean, there's no registered charity number on the sticker, which there normally is. So I honestly believe that somebody just went off printed these on, you know, on the devastation that's going on outside, obviously, for their own gain and their own purposes. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's been happening all along. You know, there have been different, you know, stickers and leaflets been put in o- over the years that are dodgy, you know. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Th- this this is actually nothing new. Uh, and if this is dodgy, these, the clothing and the cosmetics and the watches and the phones and everything and the shoes, they will all go overseas, but they'll be sold in countries for profit. They would, of course, yeah. So I would just, you know, it just, it made me mad this morning when I saw it because, as you say, you do your best, but there's always somebody going to just jump on the bandwagon and trying to make money out of other people's misery and circumstances. I just think it's disgusting, to yeah, be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want people to be aware, you know, that obviously with the likes of Cork Penny Dinners and the Cork Search You um, crowd, if, they, if you do want to donate stuff, then they'll obviously have uh, places where you can make arrangements to drop stuff for people even coming in just to get their basic expenses. And I know, Vincent and Paul, we're also stuff. accepting bags that were labelled Ukraine. I'm assuming that is still the same, but uh, it's just to let people aware. They might think they're doing the right thing, but they actually could be helping criminals. They could be. Yeah, good point. Well made. Okay. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate you taking the call. Cheers. Take care. I see Leo has done a very nice gesture, Neil. Can you find out, uh, please, uh, if he can look after the policy, any policies for our own homeless next? I fully support people coming from the Ukraine. Uh, I believe that you register and then have people uh, apply for a place in a person's home. Can we learn from this great support we're giving people fleeing, fleeing from war zones and extend it as well to our own homeless who fight for their lives every day on our streets? This is very relevant today as we hear of a person found passed away in a tent in Dublin's Fair Street uh, this morning, says Denise. Uh, thank you for that. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Sharon, good morning. Morning, when we, And when we talk of our own and our own homeless, you will be potentially homeless quite soon, yeah? Uh, well, we don't know when yet. He hasn't given us a date as of yet. But um, he wants us out soon, as soon as we can. Like. Okay, so you're living in a rented house in Mayfield since 2010. So it's been home yeah. for 12 years. It's a long time. Yeah, my eldest, uh, my youngest, has a, he's 13 now, so he's lived practically his whole life here. Okay, and you've broken the news to him, have you? Oh, we have, yeah. Yeah, we did a while a while back we did last year and um, he's fine like he takes things in his stride so yeah. we're kind of lucky because you have to make the hard decisions um, he, he's, he's the own he's, um he's only what 12 is it you have three kids isn't it he's, he's 13 
Yeah, I have two adult children and I have uh, Sean, the youngest. He's on the autism spectrum as well. Okay, okay. And, um, yeah. and your landlord is, is selling the property, is it? He is, yeah. He okay. says he is. Yeah. So you're, you're not 100% sure whether that is true or not? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, because there's no for sale sign up outside or anything, so we're just not sure. Okay. And but have you have you applied, because I saw in your email, I estimate we've applied for 100 houses in what kind oh, of time? In what kind of time Easily. frame in the last year? Uh, since June, last year. Okay, and since do you get June. any? Re- how many responses? How many viewings? Now you get response from most that you apply for. They'd respond and send you an email looking for information, or some of them send you an email with a video, and you can um, have a look at the house in the video. But we got one viewing since June. One and that was a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago. Where was that, incidentally? Um, out in Rochestown. Well, like a three bed, four bed. What was it? Um, it was a five actually. Five bed. And do you mind me asking the yeah. rent on a five bed in Rochestown? Uh, that one was was a seventeen thirty or okay. in around in around that. Okay. And you know when you um, were sent an email, do they ask questions? Um, some do, like the one we viewed, um, that was through Fer- Sherry Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. and they just offered a viewing, and then they ask you for information after you've had the viewing, and then you express express interest after the viewing, and then they look for <clears throat> documentation and stuff. But Rose Properties, they send you questions straight away when you apply. Mm. They send you an email back with a video of the house, mm. and then they have a bunch of questions that you have to email back and answer. What kind of questions are they? Um, how many people would be living in the property? Uh, do you have pets? Um, do you work? If you don't work, how will you pay the rent? Was your work uh, affected by COVID during the lockdowns and stuff? And um, just where we're living now and how long we've been... Gotcha. Yeah. They, they're, they're trying to determine if it's secure employment. Um, probably not. Many places aren't keen on pets, I guess. Yeah. They'd sooner no, take I, a family, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, they'd sooner take a family without a dog or a cat or whatever the case may be than... You know, someone with yeah. a dog or a cat. So, yeah, if you answered that I you have a pet, so. you're probably off. You're off straight off the list straight away. I would think, yeah. I think so, and I think if um, if you're not working as well, I think if you say that, you're probably off the list straight away. If you're hap, you is it? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. If you're a hap client. No, well, maybe I don't know, but if you're not working, like if you're claiming for whatever reason. I think you'd be taken off straight away as well, especially okay. with the rent okay. being so high, they'd wonder how you'd manage it. Yeah, yeah. But that's a reasonable question to ask, though, you know? I think so, yeah. I think so as well, yeah. You've got to be I able agree. to afford to pay it if you're not getting a half payment. Hold on there, Sharon. I'll finish the conversation with you after 10. I hope you're okay with that. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. In fact, I was reading in the Red Tops this morning that we're set to be hotter than Barcelona, or as they say over there, Barcelona this week. Met Heron saying temperatures might even hit 18 degrees. 
away from coasts, I suppose. And this unseasonally warm spring weather is expected to last into next week, fingers crossed, as high pressure hits the country. Temperatures are expected to reach, they're saying, Thursday, 17 or 18 degrees in places. So please include us in that. Text 0868104106 for whatever may be on your mind. I'm chatting with Sharon O'Neill, who I believe is uh, 12 years on the housing list. Sharon, is that right? Yeah. 12 years. And just before 10, we were talking about, you estimated you applied for 100 houses and had one viewing. You didn't get it. You wouldn't be chatting with me if you did. How are you coping with stress and anxiety and worry? Um, Well, I'm okay. I can kind of handle stuff like that. I'm built well, but my husband doesn't handle stress very well. And he's a type 1 diabetic as well, so... It's it's a little bit harder on him. Yeah, and a, wor- a working family. You were telling me my husband works full time. He's a tradesman, floor fitter, and a sander. You work part time. You're wearing the family, and you work part time in a shop and a deli. Um, yeah. your, your eldest son is an apprentice, and your daughter works part time, and she is the three year old daughter of her own. So there's quite a number of you, but you're all very active, and you're all working. Yeah, there's yeah. four adults in the house, and four adults work. And you have your you have your month's deposit and a month's rent ready. Yeah, we do. Yeah. No no HAP or housing assistance, nothing? No, we can we can go cash. We have a limit to what we can go to, but we can go to a good limit, like, do you know? And, yeah. How, how, do, how do you feel, though, that, you know, that potentially, um, when, is, when, is the, when is the notice up? Uh, we don't have, like, we don't, he didn't give us notice yet. He's just told us that as soon as we can get somewhere, that we need to go. All oh, right. Okay. But you, know, but you got so look, that. You been, got that of June of last year. So he's he's quite understanding yeah. in that regard, isn't he? He's quite patient. Like, yeah, he's been very patient. To be fair, so I mean, you couldn't fault him there. He could, you know, he could easily come up and give us a letter and have us out in four weeks. I mean, it's his prerogative. He's it's his house. Because you've had you notice know, for over a year already, so you could actually be gone next week, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But to be fair to him, he's like he looks for updates, and my husband gives him he gives him um, sporadic updates. Yeah, you know he'll text him or the, the landlord will ring him and he just explains. He's a he sounds and like a reasonable enough character, you know. He Fair seems enough. to be yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. is to be fair. How do you how do you feel then when you hear of twenty thousand <coughs> refugees fleeing a war torn country and being looked after so rapidly? Well, look, they're in a completely different situation to me. Like, they're running for their lives. They're bringing kids and family members out of a war-torn country. There's no bombs being let off in Cork. Do you know, I'm not running for my life. I'm not going to die. That's very understandable of you. But why, in 12 years, did you ever get an offer of a house from a city or a county council? Um, I did. Gee, a long time ago. About nine years ago, I think. And... We refused it on the grounds that um, our youngest son, he's quite naive. And where they offered us, it wouldn't have been okay for him. Mm. Like he, I, he couldn't have been out playing there or raised there. I couldn't, I won't say where it was. You was just, just, you felt it was unsuitable to him. Unsuitable to him, it was, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, the rest of us would have been fine, but he wouldn't have been, he's... Right now, he's the priority, really, because he's the he's the youngest, and and with his needs and stuff, he's he's a big priority in our house. Um, 
But yet again, here you are, like many other people, sending an email to a radio station wondering if there's anybody yeah. listening that can give you a home. Exactly. And it was my last uh, my last resort. I said last year to my husband, I said, the last thing I'll do is email the Neil Prendival show of Kings Get, like if we can't find anywhere. Because to be honest, I honestly thought we wouldn't be waiting that long. I thought four adults living in a house, all working, like well able to pay the rent, have good reference, have money ready to go. I honestly didn't think we'd have a huge issue. Yeah. But yeah. It's a, I yeah, we you put, that, That's it, because <laughs> there are some X's that landlords preclude you on, and one would be HAP, right? And, you, and okay. another would be pets. Another one actually happens to be children. They're also looking for yeah. just four <laughs> professionals who have their own bedroom and pay their rent and are working away. A lot of them would be quite anti-family, so you're probably falling on the hurdle of family. Yeah. Do you Which think? Is ridiculous. Well, what other reason like, could there be? There is no other reason. Like, there, there isn't. It's not like we're famous and we're known all over the place and we're bad people, so everybody knows that. Like, there's no reason at all. Like, four adults who are working in one house, are they should be desirable tenants. They should be, and they're not. Because there's probably the two kids there, one who's 13 and the other who's three. Do you know? And it's families should be what people are dying to have in their homes, I to know. rent their homes. Because families will pay their rent, they'll keep up with their bills, they'll keep the house as tidy as they can. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. And do they ask, do they ask for bank account details and um, copies no. of statements? Um. They don't ask for copies of statements, just pay slips and like uh, references from work and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you provided all, all of, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, we did. And actually, while I'm on, uh, we applied for a house in Montanotti. Um, Sunday evening, it went up on daft. And it's not far from where we are. So we applied for it with 1400 a month for three bedrooms. And we were like, look, we'll squash in there. It'll be fine. Yeah. And... Um, we got a message off Daft uh, Monday morning, an email saying that um, they were investigating the landlord of the house to see if the house was real and if the person who was renting it was not a scammer and stuff. So about an hour after that email, I got another email saying that Daft, Daft had investigated and all was good and that we could go ahead with trying to rent the house. So yesterday afternoon when I was at work, I got an email from the landlady of the house. Her name is Marie. Yeah. She emailed me pictures of the house, um, details of the house, um, told me about how she came to own the house. And I emailed her back on my break in work yesterday and I just gave her all the details that she looked for, which was just how many people living in the house and all that kind of stuff. There was no financial details asked for or anything like that. But this morning I got up and I had an email at five to seven from Marie and she said I didn't need to view the house because I'd asked her in the email yesterday to meet up for a viewing that me and my husband would like to have a look. And she said I didn't need to view the house. She said she was doing it through Airbnb and that altogether um, deposit first month's rent and a fee was €2,823 and that if I was interested she could... Um, send me the keys 
um, as oh, she sent me a link. No. If I click on the link and um, go on and pay the 2,823 oh, no. euro, I'll have a house and I'll be moved in by the end of next That's week. That's heartbreaking. Now, I, I screenshotted the email and I sent it to my husband because he was already gone to work. And I rang him and said, read that and ring me back. So he rang me back and he said to me, that's definitely a scam. Yeah, it is. In so, fact, the minute you mentioned €1,400 Euro a month for a three-bedroom house in Sunday is Montanati, I thought yeah. scams today because about 400 maybe €500 Euro short. Because even it was what she said. She said in the email that she came to get the house that she's a divorced mother ah, of four yeah, and that she won the house in the yeah. divorce. And even when I looked at that yesterday, I was like, what? I was like, that Come is here, very... Listen, when you're explaining, <laughs> when you're explaining, you're losing. And she's yeah. over-explaining. So thanks and be I, to God you didn't send her 2,823 oh, no. euro. But you must have been very morning, optimistic and excited and then disappointed. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was last night. You know, there is someone out there somewhere who's given her 28,200, uh, 28,000. That's what I was thinking. So I screenshotted the emails and um, I got onto Daft's uh, support page and I sent the, the emails along with a message to them and the address of the property as well. And they emailed me back a while ago and said that the second email I got off Daft yesterday saying that they'd investigated and it was good to go, that didn't come from them. That came from whoever she's working with. Oh, they are so intricate yeah. in this game, aren't they? Oh my yeah. God. It's so it disappointing like, for you. Yeah. yeah. It looked like a daft email. It looked exactly the same as the, because they did send the first email. She oh said my that. God. In the email she sent me a while ago, she said, we did send the first one. You know, they're shooting fish in a barrel because somebody will pay it. Some Somebody, it might not be a Cork yeah. person, it might be somebody from overseas who's over here, doesn't know this is happening and thinks that there's loads of property and decides to go for this one and they're 2,800 out. It's just heartbreaking. And it is, it's horrible. It's horrible is. to do that to someone who's who's looking for a home. Okay, I know. Horrible. I know. Listen, you have references, you have bank statements, you have pay, wage, wage slips, you would have a reference from your landlord. Um, you've been there for over 12 years, you've always paid the rent, you're looking for a four bed or a five bed um, to house right. your, your family, your working yeah. family. Um, if I hear of anyone or anyone is listening to this conversation, I'll pass on the details to you. Is that okay, Sharon? That's great, Neil. That'd be fab. I know. I know it would be fab because God knows you've been through the ringer like so many others. Sad, sad yeah. to hear about that scam and people need to be so aware that they are very prevalent at the moment, scam artists with all sorts of offers. A lot of the time it's fair to say that the rent is too low, yeah? That's the first attraction they have. They hit you with oh, rent. Oh, definitely. Because when I saw 1400 I went, oh my God, because yeah. that's below what we're... Way below too low, limit. yeah. I mean, it should, yeah. it should be that and it should be less than that. Uh, but it, it should, isn't. Yeah. All right. Listen, isn't, I'll be back yeah. to you if I hear of anything, and I would encourage anybody that may be able to help you to do so. All right, Sharon? Okay, that's great. Thanks so much, Neil. Take care, Sharon. Cheers. Text 0868104106. And for God's sake, be aware of these scam artists, will you? If it looks too good to be true, it's a scam. My apologies, Pat and uh, David are standing by. Back after the break. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. To the phone lines we go. David, good morning. Uh, can you hear me okay, you can? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, I know, that got you now, just a couple of uh, problems here and there. But you wanted to pick up on the amount of properties available or not available, is it? 
Yeah, but just basically, you know, we say, for example, obviously, look, where the Ukrainian situation is available, and 100% in agreement with these people who well, help. Be twen- just for the record, there'll be 20,000 Ukrainian refugees uh, by the end of this month, and that's only, what, seven, eight days away. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely madness. But I mean, all these people, I do totally agree, yes, they need our help and as much help and that was seen on the Tuberty show that Irish people are willing to help them. Mm. But the point that I have making about it is all of a sudden 4,000 empty houses have become available for them to rent. Mm. Where'd you get, that, where'd you get that number from? It was it's all over the news last night, all over TV. Uh, as in rental properties available? Empty, empty available properties, not for rent, just being given to them. And who's going to pick up the tab? I would, I would imagine probably the state. I don't know. And is that why you think that I was referencing? I was talking earlier on about landlords who were switching from long-term rent to short-term. Do you think that could be something? Yeah, of them? because for the simple reason, if you have one landlord, uh, which I say a person who has a house, he's tasked as a landlord. In theory, he might not have went out to get that second house, as in buying it with intention of running a business in it. So the simple reason he has to pay fifty-two percent to the state. He then has to maintain the house on it. So if he's, if he's had, look, we just said the Montanati one, 1,400 euros a month, 720, that's straight to the state. Then you have to maintain the whole house. Sure, you have what you call it coming in there. You have to spend thousands and this and that. So what they're doing is they're putting one-time landlords totally out of the game where they could bring them back into it, maybe charge them something like 10% tax or something and open up thousands of homes in this country. Because, I mean, how many, how many times in your show, Neil, have you come on every morning, not every morning, but a lot of mornings, about Claire, about Mary, about Peter, about John, about Paul, and they're looking for help on trying to find uh, a suitable place to live? Well, I did see a report, just not, it's not the one you're talking about, but I did see a report that's uh, from maybe six or seven weeks ago where Simon were talking about the amount of vacant properties in Ireland. Um, yeah. And it it was an article that said four thousand properties owned by councils are empty in the middle of a housing of a yeah. housing crisis. Four thousand of them are empty across the country. But landlords that have come forward because they had to. I'm losing you again. Sorry, David. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, not happening. I might try and see if I can get a cleaner line on that. Uh, you wonder. No, I just I just lost you there. The four thousand properties for refugees. Where did you see that? Because forgive me, I'm not aware of that. It was on. It was on. It was on the what you call it news talk news last night. It was on Claire Byrne show. It was on different. It was on. Uh, okay, so the, tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Well, basically, what happened is people had to register properties for people that are coming in from refugees from Romania. Yeah, they've had twenty thousand offers in total. No, no, of, the, but they're uh, they're people who would give a room. Yes, yeah, but it's broken down, Neil, into 4,000 empty homes, um, a certain amount of hotels, refugee centres, everything, and also hosts. That's right. So the figure adds up to... And, but, I mean, where did these 4,000 houses suddenly come from when we people all over this country crying, looking for houses all the time? Actually, you're spot on. Just see, up to 4,000 of the 20,000 pledges relate to vacant accommodation. Yeah, our empty units. So what, what what have they been used for up until now? That's what I'm saying. And they're giving them out Okay, free. so a lo- how many of those... You okay. can breathe in what it is. But, okay, how many of those 4,000 could be holiday homes? Well, it, it doesn't matter whether they're holiday homes, whether they're whatever homes they're... 
um, their homes that people in Ireland could have been living in for a period of time, even if it was only six months getting them through. Take that girl you just spoke to. She's a lovely, lovely, decent girl. Mm. I mean, I was coming on about something else about that girl, but I think that she's got one slight problem in her application. What is that? She's got too much earnings going into the house. Too much earnings? Yeah, as in she probably wouldn't qualify for a council house. Um, well, I mean, she's on a housing list for 12 years. Yeah, and like, you, like on, on a housing list for 12 years, you'll be well, well, well in the system in, in the Maples area to get a house. No I, I've, spoken to, I've spoken to people in the past on that, on that housing list 12 years and longer. So I don't know yeah. that that's altogether true. So yeah, just the, to the right so, so the four thousand of the twenty thousand pledges are empty homes yeah. or apartments or holiday empty homes. Um, if they've unit, been yeah. pledged, do people pledged. get paid for those properties? See, I'm not sure to be honest. The I don't, government are saying they'd be looked after, but I don't think so. I don't think that the four thousand property owners yeah. get paid by the state. No, but they had to give a minimum of six months to a year for an empty property where a hotel can pledge a week or can pledge two weeks. Like the, like the Cork City Airport Hotel now, that's actually uh, closing down for 12 months and taking in Ukrainian refugees for the whole of the 12 months. There are two hotels up at the airport. One is the International Hotel. The other one is the Cork yeah. Airport Hotel. That's it's closed. Cork Airport Hotel. That's closed that's anyway. Closed. That's been closed. That's closed. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's been, yeah, that's being reopened now, so to house all of them for 12 months. Okay, okay. And that hotel but then I mean, would be, that hotel would be paid that, by the state, won't it? Yes, yeah, definitely. That would be paid by the state because that would be classed like a refugee centre. Right, okay, okay. But it's just the empty properties get me that, like, if these TDs and everybody else that are around the city, whoever looks after housing, and came to this sort of thing that one house landlord should not be Breaking up again, sorry. I'll try and get... One, ho- one house landlord's what? Okay, sorry about that. Um, covered in all the ground as we could. He says an awful lot of landlords, of course, wouldn't want to continue to be landlords because they got to pay... Fi- we all have to pay tax, but it would be a 52% tax bill and then you got all sorts of different criteria that you have to meet and inspections and stuff like that. Who would want to be a landlord anymore? Um, that's just for renting to uh, public authority, though. You know, private landlords who rent to private people don't have to go through the same criteria. A lot of texts and emails. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. My 92-year-old mother is blind and not very mobile. She unfortunately had an accident when in the car with me. So I pulled into a loading bay to bring her into a toilet to clean her up. I popped her disability parking badge on the windscreen. I can tell you I was shocked to find I had a fine when we came back to my car. I have been fined by the council and I want to fight it. But I think it is ridiculous that they're making me go to court to fight it. Can't come on air as my mother is a long-term listener. A long-term listener would be ashamed of me speaking about such private matters with you, says Kieran. Well, thank you for the text all the same. I'm assuming you've been back to council um, and explained your situation with them and they still said you have to pay the fine. That's why your next move is to go to court. I, I, I think that's very unfortunate. You think they could say, OK, we understand you and believe you when you tell them what really happened with regards to your 92-year-old mother. It's a shame. It's a disgrace even that they haven't taken you at your word. I don't know how you'll get on in court. I hope a judge will see uh, right from wrong in that one. Uh, Susan says, I was wondering if you could help me in locating a man who helped my parents on Saturday, March 12th. It was about half six 
My parents got in the evening, half six. My parents got off the 208 bus from by Mayfield Shopping Centre. While crossing the road, my mother had a bad fall in the middle of the road. Weather was very bad that evening and my dad needed help with my mum. A very kind man by the name of Anthony stopped and helped them both. He even dropped them home to Lagan Grove in Mayfield. He had his son and daughter in the car with him as well. I've asked around and can't seem to be able to locate him. So I hope you can read this and maybe he might be listening to you. I want to thank him and give him a token of our appreciation for being so caring and helping my parents. My mum and dad are private people, so don't give their names, but uh, my number is here for you if you wish to pass it on. Um, thank you so much for that. Uh, the guy's name's Anthony, you tell me, Susan, so he may well be listening or somebody associated with him. So we're looking at Saturday, 12th of March, round about half past six, the 208 bus stop at the Mayfield Shopping Centre. If that was you... And the family want to get in touch with you to give you a token of their appreciation for your kindness. Uh, text uh, 0868104106 and we'll make that happen. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. Yeah, we had 104 to 106 Red FM. Patrick's Day Parade, of course, in the long weekend uh, last week. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. Somebody else actually was in Dublin over the uh, St. Patrick's festivities. <laughs> happened for some reason best known to themselves to go down around Temple Bar you wouldn't catch me dead in the place but many many people go there and like to party there it's a bit too messy though isn't it but anyway enough of me uh, sent me a copy they had three pints of Guinness and the price of a pint of Guinness in Temple Bar is 8 euro and 10 cent so the receipt I have in front of me here is for three pints of Guinness totaling 24 euro and 30 cent I mean it's absolute utter madness but apparently People are paying it because you see droves and droves of people in Temple Bar, much of them drinking stout. So if the price of a pint of Guinness is €8.10, I wonder what the price of a pint of lager would be or gin and tonic or something like that. Astronomical as well, I would imagine. Anyway, I don't know, could you beat that on the east side? €8.10 for a pint of Guinness, Murphy or Beamish. I doubt it somehow. Probably still many places still get change out of a fiver, I'd imagine. Anyway, text 0868104106. This, um... Topic yesterday we had, we had uh, some people in the parade who were carrying a full-size cross, a crucifix, and upon it were different signs. Drunkenness, hopeless, unbelief, broken heart, sins and sickness, shame, unforgiveness, and sexual immoralities. Now, many were wondering what in the name of God uh, that float or that exhibition or that piece of the parade was even allowed uh, walk in the parade at all. And others then were wondering as to what was actually meant by sexual immoralities. Was it um, homophobic? So loads of texts on that, I have to say, but many calls as well. So let me get some calls on the air on it. Uh, Adia, is it Adia? Uh, Adia. Yeah. Adia, my apologies for that. Nice name. Anyway, you want to you pick up on that? Were you at the parade? Um, I was not, unfortunately, because I work with children, so okay. I need to be as safe as possible, so I just skipped it. Okay, skipped it. Now maybe next year. So yeah, what, what, what do you make of the conversation? Many, I see a lot of texts on it this morning saying, freedom of speech and freedom of expression, each to his own, live and let live. Well, that's perfectly understandable, but at the same time, those same people are saying, you're meant to be so understanding and tolerant, but we're not going to be tolerant with intolerance. Is, is, you know, is, is your issue with the sexual immorality, um, immoralities being a reference to being gay? Yes. 
that's how a lot of people, most people that I've spoken to, have taken it immediately, sexual immorality. Okay. As opposed to adultery, they took it as um, homosexuality is a sin because it was very Catholic-based. And, you know, in Catholicism, sexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin, pardon me. So you don't think it would have to do with uh, promiscuity, maybe? Promiscuity? Yeah. It could very well have been, but then again, it was in reference to Catholicism. So the majority of people that I've spoken to from all backgrounds have taken it as a kind of dig against homosexuality. Okay, and do you believe, there's an, I think in your, in your text, that it is a medieval thought process? A little bit. I think homosexuality is a sin. I do think that, unfortunately. Now, as a Muslim myself, I do think homosexuality is a sin that's very behind in the times, realistically. Mm. And where do, mo- where do Muslims sit on homosexuality? Muslims, the very, very traditional ones think it's... The very, very traditional ones now, maybe the older generations, they think it's, it is a sin, really. Yeah. Are, are you saying that younger sense. generations are changing their thought processes? Younger generations? I'm a non-binary Muslim, that's the thing. What? A sign, non-binary Muslim. So I'm a signed female at birth, but I don't kind of conform to traditional Muslim kind of, not values per se, but... Okay, okay. Uh, what so. traditional Muslims think, baby homosexuality is a sin, women should do this, that, the other, I don't really conform to that per se. So when you, say, when you say you're non-binary, talk to me about that. Um, I don't conform to certain gender norms. I don't see myself as a male nor a female. Right, right, right. I just see myself as kind of myself, non-binary, neither male nor female, very fluid, gender fluid, almost. And wh- wh- the screens, the kids are out it's okay. No, I, I seem to be very interested in this topic part of the conversation because I may well be coming back to it later in the week with regards to trans rights and what have you. But did did you did you start to feel that quite young, or you know, when when did you begin to go through that process? Um, oh, gee, um, when I was very very young, I'd say, maybe around seven or eight. I used to think maybe I'm a boy because I didn't feel like a girl. Yeah, and then as I got older, I realised. I don't feel like a boy or a girl. And then it's only in the past four years I realised that I was neither a boy or a girl, I'm non-binary. And it's fascinating, isn't it, to have that kind of thought process? I don't to speak about it because not many people are familiar with it. Not many older generations yeah, yeah. are familiar with the whole topic. But it's, well, had, it's had absolutely no, it has had absolutely no impact in your life or how you live your life in any way, shape or form, of course. It can at times, but can unfortunately it? my break is over and the kids are lining up. <laughs> right, I, might and, um, ch- I might chat so with you again about it when we have more time, Adia. Oh, you absolutely will. I look forward to it. Okay, maybe we'll get a quieter moment. Absolutely, I'd love that. Okay, yes. take care for now. <laughs> Cheers, take care. Uh, Evan, good morning. Hi, Neil, good morning. Okay, what did you make of it? And I'll read some text on it um, in a few minutes' time, but your thoughts? Yeah, so um, the first thing is that sexual immorality, it doesn't like just refer to homosexuality. It does cover it. That is the important thing. So you could say it is homophobic. And the comments on Facebook or the post on Facebook that I kind of had a bit of a gripe with is that in this year's parade, all in the name of religion, shocked to see homophobia. I find it a bit ironic seeming as how the day is a Christian feast day. Like we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate 
Christmas with the birth, birth of Christ. And I'm not a Christian myself. I don't celebrate these holidays. Do you think that the St. Patrick's Day parade is a Christian parade? Well, I don't think necessarily. Or even a, a Catholic parade. parade, just because it happens to be our patron saint. No, it has been secularized. That's, that's definitely yeah, true. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, you're still celebrating it and you're still in celebrating that day, revering the man who brought Christianity to Ireland. But what about all the people that would be at the parade who would be non-religious, for instance, to see these kind of signs and sexual immorality? And there's a chap with a flak jacket who says, um, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, what I'd make of the people that are getting offended, I mean, they have every right to be offended, you know, Neil. And the thing is, like, I I put a bit more thought into this, and I was just thinking, like, if we wanted purely Irish holidays that, like, represent our culture and other cultures inclusively without the introduction of Catholicism and Christianity or what have you, should we not have separate holidays, for example, maybe an Independence Day, a Proclamation Day, where we can celebrate what Ireland has become. You know, celebrate more modern Ireland rather than, you know, having the very name St. Patrick's Day has Christian connotations to yeah, it. Yeah. Or if we could possibly reintroduce some old pagan holidays like Samhain, Bealtaine and Bulgar Lunasa, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's all very possible that we could have our own more inclusive parades celebrating what Ireland is rather than, as I said, having these connotations but to y- y- Christianity. Yesterday's conversation turned into a lot more than just sexual immoralities or a lot more than just um, being, as some people feel, homophobic. Um, there were people who were Catholic on the air who were saying that the world has gone to hell anyway, that we, um, you know, we should never have allowed, you know, uh, gay marriages and we allow people to murder babies. It got it got quite heated in that regard. It did, and to be honest, I kind of laughed um, when I was listening to those conversations. Uh, they're right in one regard, I suppose, that the world is kind of taking a downward spiral. But to say that in a secular society like Ireland that we should, you know, outlaw gay marriage and abortion, um, that's up to the people to decide. And we have decided, we have voted. In yeah, but true, but true believing Christian Catholics would be against all of that. Oh, they would. Like, um, there's about three verses in the New Testament there that condemn Christianity, uh, sorry, not Christianity, they condemn homosexuality. And there's a few as well in the Old Testament. I think Leviticus is that one. So, like, true Christians would believe, like St. Paul the Apostle, he wrote condemning explicitly homosexuality and um, so I mean he was an apostle of Jesus himself yeah but if there's 12 men in a room with Jesus Christ isn't there a good chance that one of them at least is gay oh, of course yeah yeah. What of course well I mean you might have 12 friends they might all be straight but yeah but there's a chance right oh there's always a chance maybe. yeah yeah and we get some texts on the air on this. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it, Evan. By text, live and let live. Seriously, everyone is up in arms over everything these days. Uh, had the word fornication being used, it would have driven them just as mad. There are far bigger issues in the world lately than sexual immorality and the misspelling of the word drunkenness. Uh, is it misspelled? Oh, right. You, you put two N's in it. I don't know is that two. D-R-U-N-K-E-N. N-E-S-S? It's a new one on me. While I personally did not uh, like the section of the parade and didn't agree with their agenda, 
I believe in freedom of expression once it's not blatantly harmful, says Michelle. But is it not harmful if people deem it to be homophobic? It is harmful if the children watching are learning to associate their sexual orientation with shame. No place for this nonsense at a family event, says John. And then Darren says, with society becoming more degraded and society becoming full of degenerates, I don't see anything wrong with this. People are happy to indulge in all sorts of sick, immoral behavior every day without even realizing it. This is merely pointing out the sickness in society, says Darren. By text to OI at 6814106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818104106. Maybe sexual immoralities meant that there's uh, rape in this country and in this world, and that is an immorality. Maybe the actual sign meant there's pedophilia in this world, and that is a sexual immorality. Uh, maybe it meant promiscuity. Maybe it meant infidelity. Uh, just two or three texts. What about the drunken community? There's a sign up there talking about drunkenness. He's upset thousands of people in the drunkenness group. They aren't. They aren't on the radio complaining about it. Aoife says, "How do we know what he means? It could mean rapes instead of homophobia." They were per- they were in the parade a few times before COVID as well. I don't know why. They're total doomsayers, says Sive. And the same group of people sprayed me with holy water inside a tattoo studio I worked in a few years ago. Absolute fruitcakes. Well, I don't know whether they're the same group of people. Probably not. But oh God, I can't understand why anybody would be spraying you with holy water because you work in a tattoo studio. I'd love to hear more about that story. Frank, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Good, my man. Are we back to these uh, dodgy stickers claiming to be gathering, you know, clothing and footwear and mobile phones and laptops for Ukrainians? Ah, yes, this has been going on for years, Neil. Um, it has been, but it's the first time I've seen it for Ukrainian refugees, you see. Opportunists. Ah, yeah, but they, they've used it for Syria, they've used it for, i say, going back as far as Chernobyl, like, you know what I mean? They print on the front of the leaflets, whatever the story of the day happens to be uh, for people in trouble, you know? Okay, and, do, and, we uh, know, and we know that in all those cases that they're dodgy, that they're criminals. I'd say over 90%. Go well out of that. Okay. Well, and and I, I mean, it, so far as it was many years ago, maybe in the last 10 years, there was a fairly dangerous turf war in Cork to Eastern European gangs who were doing it. And what they were doing is that we'll say you got one from that looked legit from, we say St. Vincent de Paul, you put outside your gate in the bag. Yeah. And they, they were going around at 7 o'clock in the morning with vans. And I remember they, that. You're really, yeah, you're spot on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, that actually got very serious. I think that there was, if not shootings, there was definitely a lot of trouble. And uh, Okay, but so I, when they gather, all, and you say they're Eastern European gangs primarily. Yeah, well, when, in, predominantly. When they gather all of these bags, big black bags, masses of them, what do they do with them? Well, seemingly, from what I've heard over the years, a lot of them are, especially the clothing stuff now, the clothing stuff is caught up into rags, and you have large factories throughout Europe and the world that would go through millions and millions of rags for, you know, just wiping down machinery and that. And, you know, boy, I mean, I worked in companies even in Cork over the years where you'd have truckloads of rags coming in on a monthly basis, you know, for cleaning for down equipment. Exactly, cleaning down equipment and things like that. I mean, Planting machinery, stuff like that. Yeah, there was huge money in it, seemingly. 
Um, I'd imagine for the likes of laptops and ties, they're probably sold in a lot poorer countries and the money adds they, up. They like get, the, the, the laptops and the mobile phones and computers can be stripped down in India for metals. Yeah. Well, yeah, very possibly. Um, no, that and, happens. Yeah, that is. Oh, all right. Yeah. But no, seemingly, I know the one in Cork that we were referring to was actually huge business and they reckon that they were making thousands and thousands weekly, like. And what would what would identify a legitimate leaflet appeal? Oh, would it have a permit yeah. ID? As far as I know, they have to have either a permit or a recognised charity number. But then again, how many people check it, you know? I mean, I know a lot of that of people, they just use this for clearing out purposes. They don't really care where it goes as long as somebody yeah, takes what, it away from... What, exactly, once it's taken away from the gate... Um, they don't care, and I mean, I'd say if you went through it, there's probably a lot of junk in it, really. I mean, it's even gone so far as an order. I think the actual the Red Cross put out an appeal in the last few days to stop sending uh, clothes. They want money, isn't it? They want oh, cash. They do want cash because they can buy stuff on site in the poorest so side. So why don't the Guardi do it? Ba- yeah, they, they, were, getting- they were getting bags for Ukrainian charities. They were getting bags filled up stilettos and basic rubbish. People were clearing out the house with me. Yeah, who sends stilettos to a war-torn country, says you. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't run out of it very fast. Like. And tell me, why don't the guards do a sting? Like, the one I have in front of me says that they will be collecting where I live on Wednesday, which is tomorrow. Um... So if the guards um, are just, just are they, standing by in a plain clothes car, in a plain car, uh, um, car. Well, I know, I know, I know they did, and I know they broke at least one of the groups. They were going back years when that turf war was on. Well, they ain't gone away. There was some, oh, they're definitely not gone away and probably never would. But I mean, you know, you'd be wondering, is it a waste of the guards' time and that? Right, we catch them. What do we charge them with? What will happen in court? They walk back out smiling and carry on. You know, you'd nearly want to have a guard in every corner, every at six is o'clock every not, morning. Isn't that a form of money laundering? No. Um, I suppose it is. Isn't it kind of? Uh, and that's probably what it's being used for quite a lot. But um, isn't it deception? Isn't it, no. Well, it's not deception when the leaflet says that you want people's rubbish, basically, like donation. Appeal for uh, Ukraine. Everything collected will be sold by secondhand shops in Ukraine, and the money will go to support children who are orphans. Sure, like it's a lie. That's rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. All right, like, but I mean, you'd need a guard in every corner at six or seven o'clock every morning of the week because we've got them in the door here two, three in some weeks, and they're collecting on different mornings. But it's probably the same crowd. All right, my man, listen, thanks for that and reminding right, us that this you. has been going on for years. So you have been warned. And I think it's interesting that Frank makes the point that maybe everybody isn't naive and they realise that it's a scam, but they're just happy to get rid of their junk. Back after the break, text, actually, I'll stay with it for now. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Christians, Neil, don't hate homosexuals. Stop twisting words. I never, I never said that. I never said The Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin and there is no sugarcoating that fact. However, God has given everyone a free will, whether to love him and follow his ways or not. If someone wants to practice homosexuality, that's their choice. God still loves them, but it is still a sin. Uh, it is a person's choice to follow God or not. He doesn't force people to love him and follow all of his ways. If he did, 
then it wouldn't be love. And God is love, so he will never force anyone. The LGBTQ society complain about Christians today discriminating against them. But it's actually the other way around. Christians are being discriminated against today by their religious freedoms being attacked more and more in society in Ireland and the rest of the Western society. How come your show doesn't talk about that? Love the sinner but hate the sin. I enjoy your show, but please don't paint and label Christians with false truths. God bless, says Liam. Well, Liam, I'm happy to chat with you on the air any day you're ready to talk about how Christians today are discriminated against. Um, And that is a conversation I would look forward to. Um, You say, if someone wants to practice homosexuality, that's their choice, and God still loves them, but it's still a sin. So if somebody wants to practice homosexuality and love God... Uh, that means that they would have to continually go to confession, wouldn't it? Um, if nothing else, that would be something they'd have to do on a regular basis to ask for forgiveness from that sin. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Sad news this morning. A couple of uh, interesting uh, stories to share with you. One is about the uh, sad passing uh, of um, John O'Connor Sr., Saw last night on Facebook that Tony's Bistro on the North Main Street posted, It is with heaviest of hearts that we type this post. Today, we said farewell to Tony's Bistro founder, our dad, John O'Connor Sr. And the Bistro, Tony's Bistro, is closed today uh, and indeed tomorrow to mark his passing. So that's sad news. Sad to hear that John has passed away, the man who set up the wonderful Tony's Bistro on the North Main Street. And I got a lovely email from Jonathan, Johnny Dunn's grandchild. Now, I had heard in the past of the Kaiser, uh, and that's why I just wanted to read out this email to you. I got in touch with Neil about my grandfather, John O'Donovan of Cathedral Road, also known as Johnny Dunn, around the north side. He recently passed away in the last few days. You were chatting to him on the phone a few years ago on your show about old Cork slang and old Cork stories, if you can recall. I do recall, Jonathan. I certainly do. He spoke about his father, nicknamed the Kaiser, and about them collecting scrap metal as kids. He worked in board gosh right up until he retired 16 years ago and worked at the Cork Greyhound track from a very young age, right up until his retirement age. When he retired, he got a part-time job in St. Vincent's Secondary School as a caretaker and bus driver for the school's basketball team, which he drove all over the country. A well-known man around the city, people spoke highly about him. You know, there was a minute silence in the Cork Greyhound track last weekend. And he also got a guard of honour outside the church from pupils of St. Vincent's Secondary School. Passed away in the Mercy Hospital on the 11th after a long illness, but we gave him a great send-off. Please give him a mention on your show. Sadly missed by his wife, Breed, and family. He's at peace now and not suffering anymore. We would really like to thank St. Vincent's School for the effort they put in and to everyone who turned up to say the goodbyes. Thank you for the taking the time to read this. Much appreciated. That's Johnny Dunn's grandchild, Jonathan. Um, and I spoke to, to his uh, his granddad on the air some time ago. You know, when we talk about Cork slang and the old Cork stories that we try and keep alive on the air and keep sharing, well, that was the time that we were chatting uh, to uh, John O'Donovan on Cathedral Road, also known as Johnny Dunn and related to the Kaiser. Back after 11 on 0868 104 106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. New year, new number for Neil. 
0818-104-106. And if you have a story to share, you can always email neil at uh, redfm.ie. I'm just wondering, and I started out this morning wondering whether it mightn't be a bad idea for people to mask up again as we head into the next uh, you know, week, two weeks, whatever the case may be. I don't mean to be a doomsayer or anything like that, but uh, somebody was suggesting that I'm money scaremongering, that people are adding five-day numbers together. If you did that back at Christmas time, you'd have been in a lot more trouble over a five-day period. You'd be probably talking 100 to 120,000. I mean, if you compare the COVID number, because they are cuming them all together now, the figure of 64,000 is all cases since St. Patrick's Day. And as you heard there in the news, a lot of people are walking around feeling absolutely fine with COVID and they don't even know it. I mean, you'd say the same about walking around feeling absolutely fine, maybe with flu or whatever and not even knowing it. And that's what you call learning to live with it. Uh, but And also, I know we have high numbers, but nothing like the numbers that we had earlier in the year. Nothing like it. So all of that has got to be positive. But at the same time, there are, are more masks around. I was in a couple of shopping centres yesterday and pottering about and I see people um, still wearing masks indoors and maybe they're the smart ones. Your thoughts are welcome on that text 0868104106. Another business news for you this morning, of course, how are we doing on the price of petrol? I follow pumps.ie with regards to the price of petrol and the price of, of diesel uh, and you can get petrol prices now as low as 171 in some petrol stations but others then are still High. I mean, if we're looking at the the end of the list there. There's ones coming in from uh, uh, Inniscarra and Blarney and the Maxall and the Douglas Road that's still up at 186. It's a big difference between 186 and 171. So you should still be uh, shopping around. I don't know whether we're expecting another surge increase in prices. You know, we were talking two weeks ago that we were going to go to 250 and three euro or higher. Uh, for petrol and for diesel. I think the barrel price of crude oil has actually come down. So if anything, we should be starting to see even more reductions. So anyway, the price of petrol um, certainly still staggeringly high. But you kind of get a nice surprise now when you see 176, don't you? And you shouldn't really because it's still exorbitant. Anyway, on fuel-related matters, Michael O'Connell. Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning, Neil. Can you hear me all right? Yes, loud and clear. Okay, you just wanted to pick up on that, that we're actually being controlled and ruled by the Greens on this and all other matters related to it, is it? Yes, and it's a very serious situation. One thing is price, but the most important thing is supply. Reading this morning, actually, just on that, without wanting to cut across you, 27% of Irish demand for gas is met from the Corrib gas field. That's our own. 73% of it comes in from Britain. But we import all of our oil from overseas. Correct. Yeah. But yet off the west coast of Cork, there's loads of it. There's loads of it. I made the um, seismic surveys reveal that there's hundreds of billions of cubic feet of gas and hundreds of millions of barrels of high-grade oil. Davy stockbrokers have pointed out it's the biggest in Europe. And yes, when um, Providence Resources and its uh, partner, Landstone Oil and Gas, as recently as last December and January, applied for a licence, they were turned down. Michael McGrath said to me on the air last week that they were looking at that again. I don't know whether he was kicking for touch or what. Well, yes, and if it was Michael McGrath's call, we certainly uh, would have that licence issued. Who owns the oil and the gas? 
Yeah, well, it's there. It's um, it's controlled by our government because it's within our territory. I thought they sold the rights. To, I thought they sold the rights to recover it. Did they not? No, we still have to get a drilling license, and until we get that, the um, development can't go ahead. And not alone that, Neil, the job creation, the wealth creation, and the security of energy is what we need. 30 years, I'm told, of energy will be covered in Ireland. Absolutely, absolutely. The other thing is this um, liquefied natural gas terminal uh, down in the Shannon Estuary um, in 600 acres. It, it would create 270 jobs, 70 of which would be permanent, giving us vital gas. Um, because if you look at electricity, we are dependent on 60% of our electricity is made from gas. And our minister went ahead and he was quoted last uh, November and December, said that it was a government priority to establish more gas-fired power plants to combat a squeeze on electricity supply. I thought he was big into wind turbines. He, yes, like he is very big into wind turbines and uh, solar. But solar electricity can't be stored. It only comes when the sun shines. Wind electricity can't be stored. It only comes when we have wind. Yeah. Admittedly, we have a lot. But if we have calm weather, we won't have electricity. So we're sitting on all this gas and oil. I know I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. There's loads of it there. It's abundant. Um, but is it, the, yes. is it the Green Party's stopping all of this? It's the Green Party is stopping it. I may he's quoted on today's Independent again. Um, there's lobbyists and politicians looking to create more oil and gas. And he says it's a crazy idea. It isn't a crazy idea. Our economy will be destroyed if we don't have enough electricity. Would we, also be, paying, would we also be paying substantially cheaper for our home heating oil, for our gas, for our petrol and diesel? Or would it all be just exported out and brought back into the country again or what? Well, not at all. We would have the security. Any gas produced here, we first priority is our local economy. But that never well, happens. People still continue to be ripped off. Not at all. Look at the carob. I may you have admitted it. Thirty-seven percent um, of our gas comes from the carob. Without that, we'd be a hundred percent dependent on imports. And um, you know, we are the uh, fifth highest um, a, a country in capita uh, per head of uh, uh, GDP. And you know, we we are a wealthy nation, and we can use that well to create our own um, energy, which has been blocked. So the, the is, tail is really wagging the dog on this. Absolutely. I may, if you go back to last Sunday week, the 13th of uh, March, the front page of the business section in colour portraits our minister on his bike and the caption underneath says, free wheeling into a possible energy crisis. Have we have we more to expect, do you think? Because prices have dropped a little. Well, they have dropped. But if you look at Germany and France, 70% plus of their storage is, is gone. They, they we'll need run out, um, oil and gas. We can run out if we're not careful. And this is the message I'm trying to get across. What do we do then? I mean, 
well, you know, it'll destroy our economy. I mean, the Greens went as far as saying last November and December, it's a government priority to establish more gas-fired power plants to combat a squeeze on electricity supplies. And and they're blocking gas supplies. Yeah, it doesn't sound as if it's much joined up thinking there, does there? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. By me, it's unfortunate that our government is dependent on the green vote. You know, this could bring the government down. And do you see prices continuing to climb then? Because when there's less around, prices tend to go up. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's the law of supply and demand, Neil. Um, if demand exceeds supply, there's only one way prices are going. But the barrel, the price of a barrel of crude oil has dropped. It's dropped, yes. Uh, because we're still importing oil and gas from Russia. Right, yeah. And, you know, if that stopped, 40% of our gas supplies has gone. Yeah, so batten down the hatches. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's um, it's a, a, a very dangerous time in Ireland. And to have such a strong economy, okay, the war, no one uh, foresaw that coming. And... Um, Hopefully, there is a resolution. But um, at the moment, um, we are very dependent, as you said, 100% of um, oil is imported. We still need it. And we're back to the point of perhaps upwards of, uh, so I read somewhere actually last week, upwards of maybe 900 to 1,000. Did I read 900 to 1,000? 900,000 to a million barrels, isn't it? Yes, well, there's hundreds of millions of barrels there, enough to keep us going. Oh, sorry. Right on, right on our doorstep. It's even in, higher. In it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually oh, hard yeah, to it's, even compute the volume of what's there. Well, it's, it's huge. I mean, KV stockbrokers have um, assessed it as the best. Um, it's the number one field in all of Europe. Just short of a billion barrels. Um, it just yeah, in hundreds of millions, which is so short of a billion. And gas is hundreds of billions. Oh my God! All right, okay. Sorry for sharing this depressing conversation, but it needs to be told. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate oh, it, it needs to be told. Thanks. Take care, Neil. Take care Michael O'Connell. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. So next time you're filling up, whether it's home heating oil or gas or diesel, and you're voting for the Greens. <laughs> Far be it for me to try and convince anybody how to vote in any way, shape or form. Anyway, get involved in the conversation. Pick up the phone 0818 we got calls on the way. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. You can put a little note now on your census as you fill it in as uh, they call it the little census time capsule. You can put comments in or a couple of paragraphs that will be read in a hundred years time. Uh, I was asking people what would they put in or put down on their census that would be read by generations to come in a hundred years time. Stephanie says, I'd put down Ireland has been destroyed by blue shirts for their own political and monetary game. John says, mine would be, have Mayo won the... Have Mayo won the All-Ireland yet? That's a question that would be read in a hundred years' time. How many of the messages would actually be kept, Neil? Seriously, an anonymous message without names on the forms? Any negative comment will be binned. Anybody that writes anything about bad health services, bad TDs, corruption, will be binned. 
only will be kept the ones that have a certain narrative. The rest will be classed as rubbish. So they'll censor it, is it? Uh, I'd be writing what it is like to be a carer in Ireland today. How much our government has failed the most valuable members of society. The lack of support, services and respite. How shameful it is to be Irish. Now knowing that parents are being pushed to the very end of their rope I can only hope in the future people with disabilities and their families will be treated with more compassion and respect. Well, that's what they'll read in a hundred years' time, Julie, and one wonders whether it will be better then. Um, We'll be putting in detail about my husband's family in Brazil. His granny, Jandira, who was born the daughter of a slave, and all the generations that worked hard to bring a former slave family to a family of university graduates and professionals. Each generation have more than the last, but sacrificing for the next. I'd encourage people to look for a family story worth telling that won't be found in the newspapers. Think about what you'd like to read from an ancestor of yours from 100 years ago, says Kate. That is a super text. I would write down, welcome to the world, twins born in 2021. Another one, Mark says, I'd write, we are sorry for allowing our once great country to be destroyed by greed and corruption. I have to think as well, what would the world be like and the people that live in it in a hundred years time? Maybe we should be telling the stories of now, you know, the, you know, the stories of families and, you know, things like that. A um, bit of our heritage might be a safer option to go to prison by not filling it out. At least you won't starve or freeze to death in prison, says Patrick. And just one or two more. In 100 years, people will be amazed that we allowed the government to sell our gas and electricity companies to foreign investors, opened our housing sector to vulture funds, got rid of industry like flour milling and sugar plants, made a deal with the pharmaceuticals that didn't allow us to get cheap medicine, gave medical cards to refugees while Irish people who needed them were refused, allowed industry out of the country claiming European unity to get cheap labour, taxing us so much on fuel we prayed for global warming to heat the house, put up countless windmills in the wrong places and don't produce anything when it's not windy, Um, while they add a few sticks to the campfire outside their tents they can read that we didn't rise up and fight the unfairness of it all, says Geraldine. And there's loads more of those as to what people will put in a census time capsule. So much so, actually, that uh, Seamus actually took to the streets of Cork to ask, what will you write in the census? I heard about, about the census, but I didn't know there was a section in it that you kind of put in there as a time capsule. A time capsule, yeah, like you could put in a deep, dark family secret or... Uh, I wouldn't uh, trust it. We'd have to dig deep for that one. <laughs> I wouldn't trust it, you might dig it up. <laughs> or, a, or a family recipe or something like that. Yeah, well, I can't cook. I'd have to have a long think about that, Liv. You could put in a, I kind of, I suppose, a big, deep, dark family secret, or no, that we've kept in house though. I'd, I'd, I'd have to think. I'd have to have real think about that because it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I've got my senses yet, so I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, me too. Are you? A lot to say, yeah. <laughs> a lot to on. <laughs> like, what would you say to yourself in a hundred years' time? You're still alive. Back at home, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> 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 It'd be more like something very profound. 
Like if you were going through life again, I'd be telling somebody exactly what to be doing. Yeah, but I can't tell you now because I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> but when I do figure it out, we'll have to be open up my cats in laundry this time. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to put into it either. <laughs> and what about yourself? Yeah. Keep up from Cox and he comes to. Yeah. Go on with that one. Yeah. No, geez, I don't. I can't do the line. You know, 100 years time. Boys, what have we gone from 100 years since, since uh, he's remembered the Green Party? No, sorry, what, it's 100 years since, since the buys, since the, what, 2016, it was in 1960, the rise. So maybe every 100 years later, we were still not 32, so maybe in 100 years' time, we left 32 counties. I just say, you know, live life to the fullest. The last two years, with like young people being in lockdown and that, um, it's been really hard to try and move forward. And now we're moving forward, we're coming to court, doing a new adventure, just taking a leap and just going for it. So I just say, like, don't overthink anything, just, just do it. Just say, uh, live for the moment. Carpe diem. I hope we're all here happy and healthy and that we haven't messed it up too much for who's coming after us, you know? Don't sign anything. Don't sign anything. And anyone come around to the door tell them because they can do nothing for us. Tough times don't last, only tough people. Yeah. Um, Other people's opinion don't matter. That's what I'd say to myself. I love that one. Don't sign anything. <laughs> Put nothing in writing. Somebody else says, have we been 100 years' time? The question that he'll have left for those in 100 years' time is, have we the 32 counties yet? Do you ever think about what life will be like, though, for those that read those messages in 100 years? Like as we read the 1911 census and things like that. Um because they didn't have any message then. You were just scouring through it to see who was educated, who wasn't, who was a job, who didn't, what they worked at. I don't even think it put down who they worked at. But I wonder, 100 years' time, for instance, uh, will, will people even be living on Earth? I mean, seriously, I mean, there might be still people on Earth, but they possibly will be on other planets as well, won't they? Living on the moon, for instance, perhaps living on Mars, or having a summer home or a holiday home on Mars, or... Um, living to 200 years of age maybe it would be a norm back in you know, or sorry in 100 years time people will live to 200 because in, two, in 100 years time maybe there'll be no disease maybe there'll be no sickness maybe there'll be no cancer I mean and lots more besides just thinking what would it be like in 100 years time so keep those texts coming text 0868 104 106 I, w- I would pass down the words of freedom from my grandfather and write it down in my census he fought for our freedom 100 years ago and he said Never trust a blue shirt. (laughs) Uh, On a very serious note, David says, I would write down, in 2022, we're heading for a famine. The government borrowed billions and they're leaving us starving. Uh, And someone else says, I would write down, they lied and taxed us to oblivion regarding climate change. In fact, you shouldn't be reading. And you shouldn't be reading this because you shouldn't be around the great carbon tax swindle. So thank you for those. Keep them coming. We'll come back to them again, maybe later, but certainly in the morning. I want to chat because I hope had hope tried to get to Katrina yesterday, but I didn't have any time. Katrina Breen from Balancholy. Katrina, good morning. Good morning. I know there's a lot of worry in your family's life at the moment because you need to get to America because a, a loved one is not well, am I right? Yeah, I was diagnosed there with COVID with breast cancer. And how's her condition, your husband's sister? Uh, she's just, it's basically just, you know, treatment to, to 
prolong her life rather than anything else. So because we couldn't have this, you know, changing, we said we'd better take it just in case anything should happen. Yeah. Okay. You're breaking up a little bit. I. I would, Sorry. Would, would you be Would you be going over to say your goodbyes? Are you saying? Yeah, well, she hasn't met my daughter's only one, so she hasn't met her, so it could be a hello, goodbye kind of thing. <sighs> and and it was all very much delayed, that trip, was it, because of COVID and the country's yeah, been closed? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. we would have gone over last summer and they would have come home, but... None of that happened? One of us. No, no. Yeah. yeah. So and how you... How you again, this is another issue regarding one particular passport, is it? Yeah, so we booked the flights in January when things started opening up and I realised that my passport was out and we had to get my daughter. So I did the boat on the same night online and on the 29th of January they received the documents for my daughter's passport and they still have it. And we have so yours her. is a renewal and your daughter's is a, is a first time, is it? Yes. yes and did you yes. get your renewal? I got my renewal within five days, but when you look at the system, mine's still printing according to their system. Oh, that's a lottery, it does, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. Saying, so yeah, when yeah. we check the system for my daughters, it's saying 13th of April that the passport will be ready, which was well over the 40 working days, which should be the 29th of March. But when we try to ring them, they either hang up on us and they can't answer our question, like, is the paperwork correct? You know, if it's done earlier, can we go collect it rather than putting it in the post? You're you're told the thirteenth of April, but your flight's the eighth of April. Yeah, yeah, and the 20, the forty working days is the 29th of March. So we're not asking for it to be done any earlier. They, they will never give you a definitive date. Never. No. 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 But they're not even asking. Like when we ask the question, like my husband might say, ask the question: Is the paperwork correct? Can you tell us that much? He just hung up on us. In. So when you when you say hung up, what do you mean by that? Like he didn't answer just the question. He just hung up. He just hung up. The, that's the third time they've done it. I was on call. It was half four. They were finished. So he just hung up on us. In the middle of a conversation? Yeah, yeah. No, you weren't irate or rude or anything. I'm quite sure no, you were not. No, he was asking the question. Like, if it was me, it could have been me. But my husband is very calm in these situations. And he was just asking the question, is the paperwork correct? Can you answer the question? And he just hung up. Did and he hang up because it was half four or did he hang up because he just didn't want to answer the question? Well, at that point it was half four, but he's just hung up on him again today. So, and then my husband went into the Cork office last week with my daughter in, in the pouring rain to be told we only deal with renewals. I have no idea why the likes of the motor tax office and the passport offices and government services are still only appointment. I just yes, have, but I have they no weren't idea. even going to, we tried to make it a point, but it's only renewals. So, first time passports, Cork office won't deal with it. I can't understand why they're hanging up on people. I mean, that's yeah. rude. Like, that's bad service. Yeah, no, completely. Like, when you're not, I mean, you're not shouting at them, calling them names, no, questioning their want, parentage, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, we're just wondering, like, we're just going, paperwork, is it correct so we don't have to worry yeah, that you're not going to call us? Yeah, it's a reasonable, yeah. You know, call us. And then the other one, we were like, look, if it can be ready, don't put it in the post. We'll travel to Dublin and get it if it is coming from Dublin. But they're just not accommodating anything. They Je- just keep stating... 13th of April, 13th of April. So when you say, have you told them about the compassionate reasons for travel, yeah. that your husband's sister is dying of cancer? Yeah, when we've even gotten a letter from the hospital over in America, and they were like, so? Ah, but they didn't say so. They didn't deem it to be they, compassionate. In the Cork office, in the Cork office, they said, no, that that's not nothing. It's, we, it takes time to get a first-time passport. And we're like, but the 40 working days is 29th of March. 
And in, on the, when you look at the website, it's like they're proud of having it one month and three weeks. They've had her application for those those working day criteria. They're not accurate. They're very rough no. estimates. That's all. Yeah, but like not to just answer anything or help us out in any way. It's just a system that shouldn't be <laughs> there. Like okay, so they, they, again, just they they don't deem it be compassionate to renew it faster or to issue it faster on the no, basis that your husband's sister is dying. Yeah. Okay. yeah no, so what, what would happen in this scenario then is if your daughter's new passport doesn't arrive, do you travel then without her? Um, well, my husband How old is she? To, she's only one. One, yeah, yeah. So my husband probably have to travel and that's the other thing because it's the Easter holidays we could change our flight to the 13th of April if we were guaranteed that it would be on the 13th of April. Right, do you get any politician intervening on your behalf? I have, uh, yeah, there was a senator uh, up in Dublin who's tried and he's got the same response. It's, it takes time. And I've got a councillor, Derry Canty, is looking into it as well. And um, I, I shouldn't be attacked. <laughs> yeah, no, senators and councillors and Derry Canty is a gentleman and a very hard-working councillor. Yeah. You probably need a TD who's got... Um, uh, kind of special access, you know? Yeah, m- like my friend has tried to get on to me, Hall Martin, but unfortunately he's stuck in the States. <laughs> um, so I've, l- I've no more an- avenues to go, unfortunately. Okay, well, what about Simon? What if, what if we try Simon Coveney on your behalf? Oh, yeah, that would be brilliant. Okay, could we do that maybe for you at midday and see if we have any success? I'm getting a thumbs up here, yeah. Do you mind if we make a call on your behalf at midday? Yeah, yeah, perfect. That okay, so because this is what? Much. This is the 22nd of March. For God's sake, we've got lots of time to turn this around. If yeah, it's like it's two and a half weeks. It's Friday two weeks we'll be going. So hopefully, like any, as I said, even if we were told when it definitely could be there, we could change our flights. We could end up changing our flights, paying money to change it, and it may still not arrive. No, I wouldn't do anything like that. I, I really wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, because they don't give guarantees like that. They, no. they, these things tend to just, like what, happen, what happens, whenever we've had success with this, and we've had some, not all of the time, unfortunately, the passport just arrives out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, but as I said... There's no advance notice, printing. it just arrives. No, yeah. yeah. Mine's printing, but I got it within five days, so... I know, I know, I know. Listen, fingers crossed, because it is a very, very, very sad trip to be making. This is not a family yes. holiday. This is not a happy time. No. Okay, okay. All right, give us a couple of days on that, Katrina, and we'll see if we Brilliant. can help in any way, shape, or form. Thank you okay, very much. Take care Thank for you. now. Bye-bye. Um, and if you think that's bad, it's only getting worse because the backlog is increasing, not decreasing, um, and I have no reason to say that it's going to change anytime soon. Back to the phone lines we go. Katri- uh, we'll come back to that. Thank you. Seamus, we'll have a look at that in midday. Catherine, good morning. Good morning. Okay, Hi. so we're talking about the... Uh, the time ca- well it's the census it's yes. you can put in a little comment into a time capsule and that census that we do in early yeah. april won't be seen by anybody until 100 years has passed so what would you yeah. do yeah well what i said was that um in my opinion that the hsc is not fit for purpose and that their animals in the zoos are better cared for than the people and citizens of ireland <laughs> And what do you think they'll make of that comment in a hundred years' time when there's probably going to be no sickness or illness and people will be living to 200 years of age? Well, I think that they'd be kind of looking at it in the context, I would hope, that, like what was going on. Like we are looking back at a hundred years at the moment of the, um, of the founding of the state and all of that. So like they're going to look back and look back and say like it's a bit to me. It's like the famine, it's like the baby mother and baby homes, it's like the Magdalene laundries. We 
uh, citizens of Ireland cannot access proper services. I'm a carer for 25 years and we can't get the service. You would be offered a type of service Are that may or may not help you, uh, but it won't. It, you know, it's, it's, Are you a carer to a child, a son or daughter? I'm a carer to a young adult, a vulnerable adult. Yeah. And I look, I have every TD that I can possibly write to, even Michal Martin's office, and it took nine months for them to get back to me. I've been on the phone to them. The services are just diabolical. The complete... Um, everything, unfortunately, as a carer, is that you are banging your head off a wall and unfortunately for me um, my husband uh, died and I was told this was what I was told, these are the exact words, mm. when I was talking to somebody, well you must realise that the uh, main caregiver didn't die. Ah, uh, you're still around to do it, or saying. I'm still around to do yeah, the yeah. donkey work, which I don't mind, I mean I will lay down my life for him but at the same time I asked for counselling um, for a vulnerable adult no, if the service provider can't give it, it's not available. And the, the service HSE provider does not do being, counseling. being who? COPE? COPE or any of them. You have a whole load of private organisations after coming in. You have Resilience, NUA, um, Praxis Care. You see them advertising every day looking for staff. All of them and none of them will do um, counselling for grief. It's not in their remit. It's counselling for grief for the death of dad, is it? Yeah. Uh, that's very sad, isn't it? Yeah, and well, they won't. Um, why can't I go private? I said that costs X amount of money and grant if you have it, but if you don't, you don't. And the service providers now have a stiplet that they're paid by the HSC in group funding. It's not an individualised funding. And in the group funding, um, what's available is what you're offered. And you must pay every week a voluntary subscription and everything that the person wants to do within the service must be paid for. Have you a medical card? Yeah. yeah that makes no difference. No, 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 nothing. Mm. Nothing. It's not there. It's not available. So as I said, watching Dublin Zoo, looking at photo, we go up and down quite a bit to photo and to see the care and attention given to the animals in the zoo and I'm saying like gee any god if we were a giraffe or something we'd be well looked after yeah, but not yeah. as a citizen and that would be your census time capsule yeah, it, yeah you, that you, is what you, I will be putting in and yeah. hopefully that they will find enough documentations from all the emails that I've sent to show why I'm, I'm at that and to me and I will state it, it's my lived experience, is that the HSC is not fit for purpose. They don't. They were 258 consultants short in this country. In the name of God, like we have only 5 million people. Yeah, how do and, we have, and, 20 percent, how do we, and 20% of that 5 million are on waiting lists for hospital yeah, appointments. Yeah, I was just going to say it, waiting lists. I said, like, in the name of God, like, what's put happening? That in the time, put that in the time capsule. This is 2022. The population yeah. of Ireland is just over 5 million, of which 1 yeah. million of them are on hospital waiting lists. Yeah. And 100,000 of them are vulnerable children. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, that yeah. in a time capsule and yeah. smoke. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I will be expanding on it, but like, uh, just for the for the thing that just came to me, and I said that's what I would put on, and stuff like that. And I suppose one of the things that I have learned over the last five or six or seven years, um, going in and out to CUH with various members of family, and things like that, like is that the care 
is sporadic. You can get it depending on the staff that are on at the time. If the ward has its full complement, everything is okay. But even with somebody that I had in there now when I was looking after them was that the tray would come in with the food and yet the person that I was looking after couldn't reach that food. And it remained untouched? And it remained untouched Just unless a care assistant was available to come in. And that care assistant is somewhere else dealing with somebody else. There's yeah. just not enough of them. Yeah, gone to the bathroom, gone to something, doing something. And as I said, like, how can a care assistant be inside in the bathroom dealing with a patient and coming out handing food to another patient? Just not enough of them. Is that, but it's, it's not yet. This yeah. is it. So you hear Nancy Pelosi then at uh, the Ireland dinner during the St. Patrick's Day festivities in Washington lauding the Taoiseach for handling the Irish health system so well and getting us through COVID so well and handling the Irish housing. Sure, like, they've made a complete hames of that. But oh, if she says oh, things yeah. like that, you can't believe but, anything they say. Well, you see, this is, this is my whole remit, and I have said this on numerous occasions to various um, people, is that if it was a situation that our government would write a book they would win the Pulmer's Prize for, for fiction, fiction straight away. Obviously, making and the it all up. Yeah, because like they're putting this American spin on it, and it is not the truth. Dude, well, clearly they believe it in America that we've got a fantastic health system, that we have a great <laughs> housing uh, network, and we, we don't. It's the complete well, opposite. No, no, we haven't. But do you well, know that no, no vulnerable that, adult can access a house? Uh, for independent living? Yeah, no, no. Again, it goes if the service provider is in a position to help. Yeah, otherwise, no. Okay, okay. No, and of course, they're loved. They just love them. But can the family home not be adapted and can you not kind of put the family home, hand it over yeah. to... It feels I as if you're my, a nuisance, I suppose, you know? Oh, well, I'm actually now, I'm very confrontational and argumentative. Well, stay that way, because that's the only way you'll get anything done. Look after yourself, Catherine. Thanks you for taking Thanks the call. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Bye, bye, okay, bye. keep those calls coming. What would you put in the time capsule? Morris, good morning. What about you? Hi, Neil. I'd ask, is the event centre after being built yet? <laughs> and another question, is Jerry Bottomer still running for election? <laughs> the event centre. In a hundred years' time, they'll probably have avatars, you know, like that aren't human beings and you won't need yeah. event centres or seating or anything. The concert probably, would yeah. be in your own home or pod or whatever they're living in in a hundred years. You know, you would could there have... there be no photo opportunities then, Neil, would there? No, you for, would. For no, you, would be, no, like... you would be in your own front room or whatever, right? And yeah. in a hundred years' time, the equivalent to Ed Sheeran would be doing a private gig in your front room for you alone and you could get up and take that selfie with Ed Sheeran or at least oh, an that'd avatar be grand, that'd be grand for the lads or grand for the politicians they'd be able to take a few selfies and things like that and when, did, when did they sign off on the event centre again was it 2016 was it in, in the 1900s I think was it nearly <laughs> at this stage uh, I know Jerry Bottomer was still wasn't elected back then anyway and he still isn't now but he's still, he's still making 50 grand a year off us though get it in get it in and, and by the way Enda Kenny is retired now earning 140 grand a year and sure all, all we, we have to find out down there is the archaeology and the silver shovel that they turned the, the side with <laughs> We have to find that now. Let's go looking for that. That's what money I'd say. Bye. Good luck. Good luck. Take care. Back after the break. Calling Red FM Studio. Call the new number. 
Uh, yes, indeed. Um, I didn't see uh, Claire Byrne live last night. Actually, watching watching the last days of Ptolemy Gray. I'm probably pronouncing his Christian name wrong. I think it's Ptolemy Gray. It's Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know if you're watching that. If you're not, and you can get access to it, I think it's on Apple TV. It's incredible. They figure that it's Samuel L. Jackson's greatest performance of all time, better than Pulp Fiction. I'm two episodes into it, and it is incredible. It tells the story uh, of. Ptolemy Gray, who has uh, Alzheimer's and how it's affecting his life. And you, you, it's incredible to watch a person um, playing the part so well of somebody suffering with dementia and Alzheimer's, the last days of Ptolemy Gray. It's a lot of other stuff actually on television. I haven't watched it yet because I'm just building up a few of the episodes of Peaky Blinders, but I'm told that it's poor the last season. I read an article uh, this morning actually comparing finales of TV series and they were saying how brilliantly Breaking Bad ended how brilliantly, say for instance, um, be another example, yeah, Sopranos, how brilliantly that ended, how poorly, um, uh, say for instance, Game of Thrones ended, and that was atrocious. You ended up saying, what? Is that it? Is it over? Like, well, Stone Roof falls in and that's it? Game over? Game of Thrones? But they were saying in this article that actually Peaky Blinders is kind of in there as well with poor endings, you know, from fantastic beginnings. And I also heard that Bridgerton, if you're a fan of Bridgerton, um, very little sex in this coming series of it, apparently. I think that's a good thing anyway, don't you? I mean, we all know what sex is about. We all know what the act is. And do we have to sit and watch people, you know, watching people having sex as if it's some part form? It's never anything to do with the plot, really, has it? It's kind of not needed. It's kind of inconsequential. So less of that, please. Down with all that kind of stuff. Anyway, text 0868104106. Very seriously, though, and I, I may not get to all of this conversation uh, this morning, but Christina, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I was talking there a while ago just about the state of our health service and how we're telling lies and, you know, the Americans think that we're absolutely flying with health and housing and looking after the disabled and people who are vulnerable. And we're not, like, we just aren't. You were, um, you, you were in the A&E on a couple of occasions because you weren't well in the sense that you were suicidal. Is that right? Um, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Do you want to, ta- do you want to chat to me about that? Uh, yeah, um, I suppose. So before Christmas, um, I went up to Marcy um, and I, I was after trying to take an overdose, you know. Okay. And um, I um, obviously I got an ambulance up or whatever and I was um, checked my blood pressure. And Did you call an ambulance? Do you mind me asking her? No, I didn't. My family called an ambulance for me. I, I wasn't, I was kind of... Unresponsive, like, yeah. Yeah, well, not unresponsive. I was awake, but I was kind of in and out of it. Like, I wasn't really aware, you know, that kind of way. Okay. okay. And um, I, um, I, I went up anyway, and I was kind of sat down. They took blood, and obviously, to make sure that everything was functioning. And, and um, uh, they, like, my heart was a bit um, fast, and, um, fast and stuff. So... Uh, I was waiting and waiting and waiting, like for hours, you know. And I, like, I was, I was in a really bad way, you know. And I, I, they were starting to wear off then or whatever. And I was fine. Um, obviously, I didn't succeed very well, but um, my head wasn't fine at all, you know. I was in a really, really terrible place. And um, like a couple of hours have passed, and I was sitting there. Obviously, I couldn't talk to my my family. Couldn't be with me or anything. No one with you, no. Just you no and the ambulance. Okay. Just me, uh, myself, then in the hospital, you know. Would, the, would somebody and, not be allowed to travel with you in an ambulance? Not in the ambulance or the hospital or anything, no. Okay, so they, nobody can go into you, in with you, into the A&D? No, no they, this wasn't the case before Christmas anyway. Okay. And um, 
I uh, I went, I was waiting anyway, and I, I was really starting to get very upset, and like I wasn't getting any support up there. You know, people were walking past me, and um, I was asking, when will I get to see the crisis nurse? And nobody was coming back to me, and I, I like, I was really um, very, very, very upset then after a good few hours, and I said, I can't stick this anymore. And um, they took the, the thing out of my arm and said, basically, go on so you can go, like, and just let me go. And I was extremely distressed. I was roaring, crying. I, I couldn't catch my breath. And I was, it was really, I was really, really in a bad way. And I was in a pajamas and all. And they kind of just let me go in, like, just before Christmas in the middle of the city um, by myself. And I had to But, but I just need to be kind of clear about this. Um, did you ask to leave or did you insist on leaving? Or did they kind of say, you'll have to wait I or else you'll... I insist on leave. I, I was asking... When when will I be seen? And they said we'll try to get someone. And he just goes, you can go, because I said I can't take this anymore. And he said you can go. Like I, like I didn't say I want to leave and like right. insisted I wanted okay. the help. But okay, they, they so you got up in pajamas and yeah. walked out the door of the mercy. Yeah, well, after he said, you can go, like, you know, I, I, like, he'd, it, the, the response wasn't great at all. It wasn't like, all right, okay, don't worry, can't, like, nobody tried to help me really at all. Like, I really felt very, very by myself. Like, he was kind of looking at me as if I had two heads. I was like, teased, like, you know, I was, I was begging for help. And they would have clearly known that you had taken an overdose of tablets, I think, I believe, was it? Yeah. 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 So you, they would have known that you were suicidal and it was an attempted overdose. So yeah. when you, when you walked out, what did you do? Um, oh, well, I had to walk to the city. I was um, in a very bad way. My phone was dead and everything. So I, I, I managed to get into a shop and get it on 1%. And, um, did anybody uh, see? And were you in pajamas at night, was it? Um, it was kind of evening time, I'd say, maybe 6 or 7, probably. And was it evident to people passing you you were in nightwear? Um, well, I suppose I think I might have had a jacket on and pajamas, pants, like you know. But um, okay. like I was very distressed walking through the city. There were heads kind of looking at me, like you know what's what's going on with her. Like, everybody and, um, asked, "Were you okay?" Um, the girl in the shop asked, but uh, like I, I, I was, I was so um, upset. Like she couldn't, she couldn't. It was like she wasn't even talking to me. I, I couldn't respond to her really. Like you know. Okay. Okay. Did you call a family member when you got a little bit of signal. Um, no, well, I tried to, but it died again anyway. So I just continued to walk up onto um, is a grand parade, and I, I hopped in a taxi there. And um, the taxi driver as well was trying to console me the whole way back. But like, I, I got back then, and my my mother paid for the taxi. Must have been back shocked. To, must have been shocked to see your condition then. Yeah, yeah. Well, like my condition was bad leaving, but I wasn't. I probably wasn't any better coming back. You know. Okay, was that your? Was there a second story of a of a visit to hospital? Yeah, so that was before Christmas, and then um, Monday um, before Paddy's Day, um, I um, I said to my daughter, like my mood has been very very low lately, and to the point where I'm I'm I've been suicidal, you know, and um, again like you know, and um, I said to my doctor um, how I was feeling, and he rang me about seven o'clock in the evening, and he said, look, I think you should just go up to the mercy. And my family and stuff were saying, that's probably not a good idea. They probably won't do anything for you. And I, to be honest, I believed them, but I was just so desperate that I needed some help, you know. So um, I went I went up anyway. I think it was about 10 o'clock and I was seen by a nurse. And then um, it was probably about half five in the morning then by the time I was seen by the psychiatric doctor. And like, long story short, she really just said to me, oh, I can't do anything for you tonight. We're not taking anybody because of a... Uh, COVID and I'll put you on the outpatient list for the psychiatric but that could be a week, it could be a month, you know, she just she's just 
oh, I don't know when it'll be, you know, that kind of way. And had you hoped to see a crisis nurse or to get into uh, GF? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And she asked me, she said, what do you think we should do now? And I said, well, I, I feel very unsafe myself. Like, I, I like I don't know what I'm going to do when I leave here. Like, you know, and like, um, and she just said, well, we can't do anything for you. So I, I don't know what the whole point of my, it was, there was no point going up really. Like, you know, I just sat by myself again for hours in, in that headspace when I, when I probably would, would best off a home with my family. Um, so you win the, on the second visit, which was recently, wasn't it? Yes, there's just um, not this Monday, the one just b- b- um, before it. Okay, 10 days ago. You, yeah, did, you, yeah. you made them very much aware that you were um, unsure of what your next move would be if you walked out of the hospital. I did, yeah. Okay, but that didn't seem to impact on them at all. It didn't, no. And she said, we'll, we'll um, do a 24-hour follow-up call. And the follow-up call wasn't 24 hours. It was more, something more like... I don't know, 36 or two days nearly it was. See, here's, my, here's uh, my worry about this. When, when they did call two days later, what was that conversation about? Well, just to check in and to see if I was okay, and, and it, they said if I if I because the bank holiday was coming up, they oh. said if I if I was in crisis again to come up to them and they. Could but help you me were in crisis I, and you were told <laughs> to go home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What if they had made a call two days later and somebody answered the phone and said that you had taken your own life? Well, that's it. Like, and I, like, I wouldn't be the first case of that. I've heard that so many times. You know what I mean? And that—that's just why I felt the need to contact, um, contact you today because it—it's it, happened. Like, and it, it's happening all around. And like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still hanging on, and I'm strong, and I have a fantastic family, and I have support in other sense. But I just felt so left out. This, this was, this was a crisis, and I needed help, you know. And like, I just didn't get it, you know. Okay. I was really, okay. it was quite upsetting. This is far from an unfinished conversation between you and me. Are, are you okay to chat again first thing in the morning? Yeah, yeah, that'd be no problem. Okay, I'm not putting you out or anything. It's just that I, I'm out of time now. If I could stay on longer chatting about your situation, I would. But. I'm, I understand. I'm yeah. very happy to start again in the morning to pick up on our conversation, okay? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank and you. Makes, and make some calls in the meantime with regards to protocol when somebody like your good self presents at either the Mercy or at the CUH and um, I'll have a response then as well, okay? Yeah, thank you. No, thank you, Christine, for coming on air, being open and honest. Look after yourself. We'll chat in the morning, okay? Okay, speak to you then. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye. Lines will stay open on 0868104106 if you want to text. Uh, I guess that nothing shocks me anymore, really, um, you know, with the stories that we've heard down through the years. It should, but it doesn't. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.